Hi, this is Star Wars author Delilah S. Dawson, and you're listening to Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. speak might not make you intelligent but we're gonna try to prove otherwise this is the clashing sabers podcast we are back ladies and gentlemen i am one of your hosts brandon and i am here with two of my best friends first of all i must introduce she is more heroic than ray saving a clan of emotional support ewoks ladies and gentlemen it's Lindsay. i'll be honest i stopped listening when you said two best friends because my head just went to an immediate loop of we're the three best friends that anyone can. <laughs> and after that, everything was, was like the teacher in peanuts. like, <laughs> I mean, I, I pretty much assume that that's what everybody hears when they listen to me. So it's fine. I'm, I'm cool Aww, with that. Brandon needs a hug. <laughs> I need an emotional support. Ewok is what I need. <laughs> and we could not do Clashing Sabers. We could not bring it back without the OG co-host, straight from the depths of Malachor, ladies and gentlemen, the Drew Brett. This is going to be one of those episodes we all look back fondly and go, oh crap, what were they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be good, guys. I have lots of like built up energy in me. I uh I'm What? I, no, no one can tell. Please describe that. <laughs> I'm on my second pot of coffee, so I'm a little shaky, but like pot, it feels good. Pot, he says. <laughs> Let's Not do the cup. Second pot of coffee. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Guys, I'm so excited. We haven't we haven't done a Clashing Sabers episode in like forever. It's been like two weeks, bro. <laughs> Yeah, but think about it. Last time, last time, I was gonna say last time he did it, he was he was not a married man. Right, he was filing his taxes singly. Oh, the good old days. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm now, which is awesome. Apparently, time moves. Apparently, time moves a lot slower when you're married. I mean, it's like October. I mean, well, you know. Anyways, guys. Before we get into uh, what we're going to talk about today, which is The Rise of Skywalker, finishing off our uh, current films with our top three, bottom three, covering Rise of Skywalker, I just want to give a couple updates. Uh, First of all, on the birthday fundraiser that I ran uh, last month, I know I've mentioned it before, but just as another mention, uh, just a thank you to everybody who donated there. We already have uh, the books ready to go, and we have some teachers who are on our list to receive them. And if you have a teacher that you would like to nominate or you are a teacher that you would like to nominate, make sure you go to clashingsavers.net and uh, click on the menu button in the top right and click on nominate a teacher and uh, put your name in with all the information and we will get a box to you uh, either this time or the next time. And I say next time because we now have our Patreon open. So patreon.com slash clashing sabers. Right now we have two levels available. We have uh, form one and form two, which are available. Form one being a $1 donation and form two being a $3 donation, which gets you access to our our Skywalker Saga commentary series where uh, we paired up 
across the nine uh, Skywalker Saga films and did a little commentary. So you get combinations that you don't always get to get on the Clashing Sabers podcast or Don't Burn or Forever Star Wars or Starship. So if you are interested in supporting that mission, uh, please head over to patreon.com slash clashing sabers. Um, you can also jump into the Facebook group and, and there's information uh, that's always popping up there. So that's the stuff we're doing. I do want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at Rebel Cause. Uh, for those of you who have been listening, we've had Caden on a couple times and he also runs a uh, Star Wars nonprofit. And uh, they actually just opened up a, uh, a day center for homeless uh, folks in Lancaster. That's been going so well that they offered him a night shelter starting next month. So wow. special awesome. congratulations to him and the lives that he's changing through the lessons that were learned in Star Wars. So lots of good stuff going on despite, you know, some of the rep that the Star Wars fandom gets. Most of us are, are doing good, whether it's for other people in our own lives or just putting these Star Wars lessons into practice. So, housekeeping done. Let's get to the important stuff. Drew, what are you Star Warsing? I am trying to read the Alphabet Squadron book that's out. Uh, Shadow Fall, I think is what it's called. Is that right? Yes. All right. Guys, it's really good. <laughs> I like this one. Did you not like the first one? Where were that's you at on good. the first one? Uh, I remember being okay to positive okay. on it. Um, I, I, I am, let's see, the app tells me I'm 31.8% of the way through it. So I'm not terribly far into it. Um, but We're man, about I'm really liking these first couple of ch- Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm really enjoying these first couple chapters. I hope it continues. Um, Will Lark can probably go die in a fire, but God help anybody if they touch my precious ear of the quell. Oh, man. What strong emotion. <laughs> like, I'm only on chapter like eight, so I'm sure one of them will die, and I'll be horribly, horribly offended at some point. Don't worry. <laughs> Lindsay, as long as it's in a fire. When he, uh, when he said that about Will, I was like, okay, the rest of it is just peanut sound. Just womp, 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 womp. Yes. How dare what? you, sir? I'm, I, of all people to pick, why the sweetest one? Well, probably because he's the sweetest and stupidest naive little booger. Him and Snap Wexley need to just hang out and just go just Excuse you, sir. You do not put the great and moral Will Lark in the same category as Snap Wexley. Calm down. That's like putting Leia and Nora Wexley in the same category, okay? It's just... (laughs) Ugh. No, he's just boring. All the other characters are so much more interesting by comparison, I think. That's fair. Chas is yeah. the one that gets to me. I'm a, I'm a Which big one? Chas. Oh, she's hands down oh, okay. my favorite. Yeah, she's pretty cool. Yeah, she's also right. because like I would totally just be rocking out to music while I was flying in a battle. I don't know why more <laughs> people don't do that. Like, how has it taken that long for us to find out that they have uh, you know MP3 players or whatever in their... Is it only B-Wings? Does it just come in B-Wings, a special uh, feature? I don't know how that I works. I feel like that's something that came from the Rogue Squadron books, but I could be mistaken about that. I feel like there was one of the pilots there who had a similar kind of motif built in. Okay, okay. But, I guess I'll uh, have to actually read the rest of those books. Cause you should. There's there's a great moment with a, a stuffed Ewok in the X-Wing com- uh, cockpit, if you haven't gotten there yet. That also showed up in uh, one of the squadrons... Uh, for the new video game. Did you guys see that? One of the squadrons, I don't know if it was a trailer or something, but there's there's a the, feature yeah. where you can customize your ship and somebody put a plush Ewok in the... I didn't cool. see that. Oh, yeah, it was super cool. Super Ooh. cool. That so, game looks like a lot of fun. 
Yeah, and I mean, there's no spoilers, but there are some things that are happening in Alphabet Squadron or just some references that I think we're going to see squadrons oh. and be like, oh, this is what's happening, uh, you know, over in Alphabet Squadron. Because I just, I like, finished rereading the first Alphabet Squadron before starting the second one. So I was like a week behind of starting the second one. And I... I really liked the the original Alphabet Squadron a lot more than I remembered, so I'm excited to finish really? and see. Knowing that this is a darker chapter and you have to kind of Empire Strikes Back it and end it in a darker place uh, to get to that third book in the trilogy, um, I think is really interesting. And I think, and we'll get more into this in Don't, on Don't Burn the Sacred Text, but just a little nugget I found interesting is the cover says an alphabet squadron novel it doesn't say book two of the alphabet squadron trilogy or any it says an alphabet squadron novel which i feel like is their way of setting up like we're gonna have the trilogy but if this is really successful maybe we get these other alphabet squadron novels which hmm well we'll see about that i'm not i'm not i wouldn't be surprised if it was more like prequel type things picking anyone maybe even will larkin and give their entire backstory a little bit more light. Nope, there's a book I don't need to read. Not interested in that. <laughs> what if it's E.K. Johnston? I was just going to say that. Oh, see, <laughs> that's just rude. <laughs> I went there. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I thought about going back and rereading the Ahsoka novel because I remember reading that when it first came out and, and not being super engaged with it. So maybe maybe time has uh, changed that one as well. I'm not really sure yet. Because those are the three she's done, right? Ahsoka and the two queens. Yeah. Correct. Queen books. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like going back and rereading things when we have more information afterwards. So now that right. we've seen more of Ahsoka's story, both before and after that novel, I'd be interested to see how it changes for you. Even with squadrons and alphabet squadron the rebel kind of group that you play in squadrons is going to be vanguard and they have okay. mentions throughout alphabet and i think it's it's really more like when hera isn't with alphabet squadron it's because she's with vanguard so mm-hmm. now i'm excited to learn more about vanguard and maybe being able to get through a reread of these two books and seeing if that changes anything too have you finished Shadowfall yet? I have, yeah. That's what. That's why, like, I I feel like I need to shut up while you and Brandon are talking about it because I'm like, oh, I don't remember where exactly they're at and what's going to be we'll a spoiler if I say something. Fire. <laughs> Can I set that as my ringtone? <laughs> you should set. You should set it to say hummus. <laughs> <laughs> hummus. You should. Oh, we should get uh, somebody, somebody clip to that. Is there somebody playing Will Lark in Squadrons? Because we could have Will Lark saying hummus. Oh, no. I don't need to hear him, too. I already have to read him. It's bad enough. Dreamcast, who would play Will Lark? Larkin. I vote Tom Holland. Oh, no. He's not got nearly a punchable enough face. Wait, are we talking talking like audio only? Like an audio book? Or are we talking like... No, I'm talking full on either live action, mocap, something of the sort. Who's the guy? Hang on a second. There's a, so there's a comedian. Um, I, I can't remember what his name is, and he plays the piano and does songs. He's oh, what? Oh, Bo something. Yes, Bo. Not Bo Dallas. Uh, is it Bo Dallas? No, that's somebody else. I don't think so. Oh, Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham. Yes. Yes, because he's like scrawny and kind of like nerdy looking, which is I think how 
Uh, you know, he's supposed to look Tom Holland. Tom Holland's a good looking dude. Like, I don't think that <laughs> captures the sure will. Sure is. I mean, I think that's like the understatement of <laughs> 2020. Uh, but yeah, you need somebody. You need somebody nerdy. You need somebody like skinny and nerdy, like me. You know what? That's it. I I will play Will. <laughs> that is the oh, conclusion golly. that we've come to today. Just saying. Is it okay. Will Lark or Batch Will Larkin? <laughs> I hope. Oh, no. <laughs> I think uh, it's Will Lark. No one, no I think my college roommate's no last name was Larkin, and that's what's confusing yeah, me. Yeah, it's Lark. It's L-A-R-K. It's, it's definitely Will Lark. Yeah. There we go. I'm looking at the book. Cheater. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Let me put away my infinite knowledge device over here and just kind of go off of pure memory because it always works and serves me so well. <laughs> you and your resources. In the meantime, Lindsay, while Drew cheats over there, what have you been Star Warsing? What are you up to? Oh, man. You know, it's so funny because I feel like with anything Star Wars, we get kind of like a, a break for a little bit and then all of a sudden we just fire on all cylinders and for maybe, I don't know, two months, it was like there was nothing new. I would catch up on the Mandalorian documentary, and that was it. All of a sudden, now we have Queen's Peril out. We have Alphabet Squadron out. We have, you know, all these book announcements. We're getting ready ready for a new video game. I honestly feel like they just took everything that would have happened from Celebration, and they were just like, internet dump, go. Just, oh, that's just a give good it. Point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, figured they had all this information that they were planning on giving us next month, and they're still going to need to get it out, even with these projects getting pushed back. We still need the information. You know, mm. I'm sure there was going to be a ton of High Republic stuff. Now they're dropping the first chapter online. You know. There's going to be updates on Mandalorian Season 2. We're going to need a trailer soon. I'd expect the trailer to be out by September. So, yeah, because so, I don't know. debut it's, in October, I think, right? That was the plan, yeah. And as far as I know, that's not getting delayed. So it's kind of just like I, I was enjoying re-watching and re-reading a bunch of Star Wars stuff, and now it is just constant go 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 trying to keep up with the news keep up with the new books the comic books are going to start coming out again soon so it's it's kind of just good to be back not just with clashing sabers but with new star wars stuff hmm yeah i mean you do have to get that information out there somehow i mean i'm sure we're definitely going to get i feel like they're going to drag out the announcements a little bit like i feel like we still definitely have some stuff to come um just to kind of i guess distract us if you will from the fact that we are not having a whole weekend of celebration you know normally i think we'd get that weekend of celebration and we'd get everything and we'd be just so high on everything it would last a while and now they're just going to kind of keep us tempered at a good level of you know here's the video game here's mandalorian here's mandalorian trailer novels uh, here's announcement of other novels and new comic series and all that's this kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, s- at some point in the in the foreseeable future, we have to get like what Taiko Titi's, uh movie is going to be. Uh, what the yeah, hell is happening with Cassie and Andor? You know, there's a lot out there that we definitely are going to be getting here hopefully soon um, because 
I forgot it. Mandalorian was coming out in October. I have to have my Star Wars room ready to go by October so I can yeah. watch it. In the new room. So, <laughs> you do. Hey, you're going to get to read the new Thrawn, watch the new Mandalorian, Ugh. all of it. Uh, uh, whoa. Uh, oh, we have Poe coming out. I'm not interested in that. No, I don't care. Oh, about he hates Thrawn. Thrawn. I don't hate oh, really? Thrawn. I find Thrawn uninteresting. You hate Thrawn. No, I <laughs> just I am, own it. You hate Thrawn. No, it's no. okay. Here's why. Give Here's why I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Here's why I don't hate Thrawn. Okay, I don't hate Thrawn because to hate Thrawn, I would have to actively think about Thrawn. I am completely <laughs> apathetic towards Thrawn. Wow, that might be worse. Fair enough, <laughs> but it's true nonetheless. That said, now that we've lost half of our listener base, welcome to Clashing Sabers, guys. This is what we do. Uh, yeah, so we have, I mean, we have a lot to talk about with Rise of Skywalker today, and I know going in, all three of us are going to come from very different uh, points of view on this film, so we are going to take a quick break and send it over to our friend Bill from Happy Beeps, who is going to give you some knowledge about the uh, collecting and Rise of Skywalker and, and what's kind of going on with that and what happened when this movie came out. And when you come back from that, you're going to be smarter and wiser and your brain's going to be bigger and you're going to be able to handle all the awesomeness that is our top three, bottom three for Rise of Skywalker. So, Poe, take it away. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. I'm with the droid on this one. I'm with the droid on this one. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Happy beats I'm with the droid on this one. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Happy beats I'm with the droid on this one, buddy. Come on. Hi everyone, it's Bill from Happy Beeps. Today we're talking about The Rise of Skywalker. For you collectors out there, if you're looking to get a complete collection of all the toys that Star Wars merchandisers created for the final film in the Skywalker saga, well, happybeeps.net can help you get there. A grand total of 141 toys were produced in 2019 for The Rise of Skywalker. That's 57 action figures in the Black Series line, Galaxy of Adventures in the Vintage Collection, as well as Disney's Droid Factory in the Toy Box lines. 36 bobbleheads from Funko, 7 die-cast cars from Mattel, 39 Lego minifigs, vehicles, and playsets, and 2 plush toys from Hallmark's Itty Bitty line. As far as the biggest characters in terms of toy production from The Rise of Skywalker, Kylo Ren comes out on top with 17 likenesses. Rey comes in second at 11, Sith Trooper at 10, and Dio with 9 toys that you can buy. Vehicles, you can get four different versions of the Treadspeeder from the Pisana Chase, three versions of Kylo Ren's Command Shuttle, three versions of Poe's X-Wing, and two Y-Wing fighters flown by Zori Bliss. Now, all this might seem like a lot, but if you compare that 141 toys to what they produced for Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, well, that movie had 286 toys produced, or more than twice as much. All this is understandable since last year, collectors and manufacturers' attention was split between The Rise of Skywalker, The Mandalorian, and Jedi Fallen Order. And now, in 2020, we're neck deep into the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. It remains to be seen whether merchandisers will come back to The Rise of Skywalker later this year or down the road, but the good news is we've got plenty of great Star Wars to look forward to in any case. This is Bill from Happy Beeps. Have a great day and may the Force be with you. Your lightsabers will make a fine addition to my collection. We stand behind you, Ray. Ray? 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 
heart of a Jedi lies her strength. Ray, the Force will be with you always. All right, we are back and getting into our top three, bottom three for Rise of Skywalker, the most recent uh, Star Wars film and the end of the Skywalker saga. And for those of you who have not joined us before for one of our top three, bottom three episodes, uh, here's how it works. We will start going through with the bottom three, which are things that we don't like, think could have been done better, disagree with. Um, that can be either in story, uh, cinematically, whatever. Um Anything like that that we, we would kind of want to critique. And then our top three are the things that we think work the best, uh, slash we enjoy the most, anything like that. So we're going to start with the bottom three, like we always do. And we will start with number three and go to number one. Number three being the least egregious uh, to number one being the most egregious thing that the film did. And since this is her favorite Star Wars film, favorite movie... Question mark? Oh, easily. Of all time? Easily. We got to start with Lindsay because having her critique this film is going to be something I am very fascinated by. <laughs> so, Lindsay. It was a struggle. Let me just tell you, I was able to scrounge up three things about this that I didn't like. For my things I did like, I have a few pages worth so that this way, in case one of you take one of my top three, I have like six pages of backup ready to oh go. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, to, and to, put I did, it, to put it into context, too, like, before we got on the call, I was like, I don't have anything on here specifically about Poe or Rose or Ray, and my notes are five pages long. So we're coming from very different perspectives on this. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go. go I will. It, I will give you a warning that everything I don't like about this movie, the three things... None of it is necessarily what was in the movie. It's all what wasn't in the movie. So I want to say 90% of my issues could have been cleared up if they just gave us like a four-hour movie. I would have been happy with it. Um, but I would say that my bottom three is going to start right off the bat in that they did not show us Palpatine's message. I think mm. this is something that would have been a great start to the movie. It would have been a nice way to ease into things because a lot of people didn't like that it just picks up with the action. I personally did, but this would have solved a lot of criticisms in that people felt everything just moved too fast in the beginning. If you had started with, here's Palpatine's message, here's why people are not only afraid, but here's why people are confused. Here's why some people do or don't believe that Palpatine is back. So when Poe stands up later on and he says Palpatine's returned, people are afraid. You know, they heard his message, but they didn't seem afraid until it was confirmed if we had heard that message, we could have experienced all of those emotions with the entire rebellion. Instead, we're just told, hey, Palpatine's back. He has a message. Just trust us on this. There, it, it was there. You don't need to know what it says. You don't need to know what it sounded like. But hey, trust us. This happened. I personally <laughs> would have liked to hear that message and, and go through the motions. 
do we know the content of that message? Because rewatching it again um, earlier, there's a second message that he he sends out that actually is the warning that says, "I'm basically going to burn the galaxy down." What was the point of the first message at all then? Like, was it just like a like save the date kind of thing that he's save the date? I don't understand. That would have been amazing. Just a nice little magnet for everyone's fridge. Um, and some cute little calligraphy. The guy yeah. has style, clearly. No, and I don't think it's even in the novel. The book doesn't even really expand on it. There is. I think it's the second one that's in the novel. There is there is a message right. in the novel. Because I remember thinking, like, oh, here's the message. Um, yeah, but that's like, that comes like so much further after the very you know the very first thing we see is the dead speak. It's like okay, what does the yeah. dead say? It's well, like well, what about that's not important. <laughs> what if they what if they really like really messed with your head and as the opening crawl is going across, you get kind of like a not an exactly a record scratch, but kind of the record scratch idea where all of a sudden like. The, the crawl is going, and then the last paragraph, the crawl starts turning into Palpatine's message. And here <laughs> DJ the... Palp, ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the dark side or the light. No, stop, stop. Oh, woo, don't stop. <laughs> so maybe, maybe it's a good thing they didn't show it. Oh, come on, guys. That would have been... How, but think about how that how uncomfortable something like that would make everybody who's coming into a movie. One, you know Palpatine's back, right? Because they've already given it to you in the trailer. And now it's messing with what you understand about Star Wars. I, I think that that is something that could have added some emotion. And you don't even have to have... You don't even have to change the first scene. You just have it happening a couple sentences. And then you have it happening while you're seeing Kylo slaughtering the people on Mustafar. You hear the rest of the message. Yeah. Something like that. Maybe not mess with the opening crawl. I'm fine with that. And, but, you know, something. You have to hear the message. I think that's, yeah. It's a huge oversight. Yeah. Huge oversight. All right, Drew. What do you got for us? All right. Well, I had the opposite problem that Lindsay had. I didn't have trouble finding the, the, the bottom three at all. I had trouble <laughs> pulling those down into a manageable amount, whereas my top, I was like, oh, I got to find things that I enjoy about this film. Um, this, this was, this was kind of difficult. Um, I had on my list um, Poe and Finn's constant antagonizing of each other through the film without any satisfying payoff for their two for the two of them in a relationship, but I kind of want to just set that aside. It's just like, kind of like a given. Like we, we feel like we've talked about that one enough that we just kind of put it on the shelf and be like, "Oh yeah, remember that time?" Um, so that bumped up another one into my number three slot, and this is just something I noticed recently. Is kind of a, a trend that I, I don't know that I particularly care for. Ray has this horrible, horrible habit of wandering away from everything. Um, she stays behind a train at the beginning. She wanders away from Ochi's ship on Pasana. She sneaks off from the gang to go fetch the dagger out of the de- out of the Death Star. She just I, I, all these different beats of the story. It's just her going off by herself, like for the entirety of the film, all the way through to the very end, where she you know slips off to Tatooine to bury the two sabers. And it just kind of stood out as kind of like a, as an odd character choice for her, who 
is become someone who is so grounded in the whole found family concept uh, in, in building teams and working together and caring for one another that she's constantly <laughs> leaving Finn and Poe behind. Now, maybe that says more about Finn and Poe than it does about Ray. I'm not really sure about that, but it just kind of stood out as like an odd character choice for her to constantly say, I'll be right back and I can't tell you where I'm going. It was weird. Almost like Luke leaving for Dagobah or the second Death Star. Well, I thought about that, but at least Luke had Luke talked to Leia about it. She he said, "Here's where here's what's going on. Here's the plan. Here's what I'm going to try and do. You may not like it, but I feel like this is the right thing to do." Ray just literally turns around and says, "I'll be right back." And then it's like 25 minutes later, even like when they get to I really noticed it when they got to the Star Destroyer, when they get to mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of the ship, but on Kylo Ren's Star Destroyer basically where everybody's on board looking for Chewbacca, and then she's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, my spidey sense is tingling, and she turns around and says, you guys go that way, I'll go this way. And they're like, what? what? No, we should probably be staying together. It's a Star Destroyer full of bad guys trying to shoot us. So it's- Here's why I think it works, though, is even though we understand the found family concept and how it relates to everything else in Star Wars... Ray doesn't. So even though Ray loves this family and she loves the relationships that she's built, she doesn't necessarily understand how to act in those scenarios. You know, if you were to take a dog from a pound, they might enjoy the new home, but they're not going to understand the new rules for a little bit. I also think it says a lot about her relationship with Finn and Poe that she's able to do that and they trust her. Whereas Luke felt the need to constantly defend himself. And he always had to explain what he was going to do, especially to Leia. Ray can just say, there's something that needs to be done. I'm going to go do it. Don't worry. And Finn and Poe are able to just trust her. They know she's going to do the right thing, and they know she's going to be able to do it. Mm, that is a fascinating version of history you have chosen to rewrite, but uh, that's okay. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I really agree with that, because the times in which Ray sticks to the plan and sticks with the gang work out so well. Like Consider what they go through in Kijimi, where the three of them are skulking through the streets there. They meet uh, Zori, and it's only because Ray is together with them that they're able to make it a situation that works out in their favor. It's when they stay together that they are their most strongest, and they are their most successful, which you, I think you can also see demonstrated in the first scene where Finn and Poe make it back to uh, planet whose name I cannot remember, the jungle thing. And he's, you know, Poe is upset. He says, we really could have used your help out there. You're the best fighter you get, we've got. And you're, you're sitting back here training for we don't really understand why. So maybe the trust develops over the course of the film, but I don't think you see it at the very beginning, that's for sure. And having spent a year together since The Last Jedi ended, where she comes and rescues them out of the back door crate, I would have really expected them, especially based on Resistance Reborn, which does put a a pretty strong emphasis on the fact that they have to work together as a team in order to accomplish what they want to do. But so the way that I would look at it is the idea with Ray is everything culminates in that be with me moment on Exegol, right? And so the fact that she is more successful when she's with others, but she is more successful when she sticks with 
Poe and Finn, and those moments when she separates and isolates herself, like going to the second Death Star, uh, like going to Octo, uh, all of these times where she does isolate herself or doesn't trust in others, it's kind of like how she's always the first one to turn her lightsaber on, you know? Um, she's asked... not. Th- I guess she's asking for it is not like the right way to say it, but because that's a you know a very <laughs> problematic. Yeah, yeah, that's a but but that idea Save of off, man, she, she is putting herself in a situation where she can't win, right? She, if you pull out your lightsaber, you're gonna get into a fight. You know? Hey, hey, stop it. <laughs> It's a family show. <laughs> but she was asking for it. Oh my god, I hate all of you. <laughs> Would anybody feel more comfortable talking about the sand and the red red crystals on crate again? Because I don't listen to that conversation. I hate you. Guys. Everyone join Patreon. Listen to the Last Jedi commentary. It's it's, but... it's worth your dollars. <laughs> uh, here, here's kind of my, my rebuttal to that. Again, is that I think at the beginning of the film, it, it demonstrates that she's focusing on the wrong group. Like. The first thing we see her doing on screen is 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 really asking for that communication, that be with me, be with me moment at the beginning of the film, where she's entreating the spirit of the Jedi, and they are not responding to her. Like she is not being joined together with them. But at the same time, she is not joining together with the rest of the team. Like the rest of the resistance is out there actually trying to get something done, and and she's out here trying to do something completely different. And I wonder if it's trying to tell us something in that she's focusing on the wrong group. Like, she's she's not being successful connecting with the Jedi of the past because they want her to focus on those who are around her and who she has to work to save now. But then the end of the film kind of undoes that, where they indeed join together with her in order to save those who are around her now. And it's kind of like, all right, now... I'm having trouble reconciling all of these different things together. But honestly, this is not even the most egregious of my bottom three. So I don't really know if we, if, uh, we have other things we can fight about in a minute. For sure. For sure. I think it's interesting, though. I do just want to add, since it, w- it was me who made the point that Finn and Poe are usually the ones who they're like, go do your thing. We trust you. The one time they felt she wasn't over her head when she goes into the Death Star remains, that's when they start freaking out. That's when Finn's like, we need to follow her now. She can't be doing this on her own. And again, I think that's a really strong aspect of the movie that you see how much they care about each other. And most of the time they do trust her and they're going to have her back. But the one time they're afraid of it, that's when Finn and Poe step up and say, all right, no, we do need to come back as a team. We are stronger as a team. Let's figure this out together. Well, I think po- I think Finn trusts her unbelievably more than Poe does. Poe doesn't. I think in this film shows Poe is losing respect for her because he does not see her contributing to the overall success of the team when he knows that her participation could. And Finn is constantly the one who's saying, hey, you don't know what she's going through. And Poe says, oh, and you do. And he says, yeah, I do. So there's like this level of trust that has developed in Finn that we'll talk about later that, that Poe doesn't have. And so th- there's there's a little bit of, of, of issue between the two of them. It's interesting for those two characters to kind of ha- come from a differing pr- perspective. But I really feel like Ray gives more ammunition to the, to the, to the uh, Finn side of it 
to say all she does a heck of a lot of abandoning us in the, in the times in which we could use her help the most. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely um, pro- there's there's a problem between in the relationship of Poe and Ray, and I think kind of the two of them hugging at the end and and realizing that they were in the same fight all along is something um, that is important. So for me, my bottom number three is, and I usually try to avoid doing like actual behind the scenes things like making of things, um, you know, in, in terms of, of my bottom three, but it's the process of filmmaking for this one. Um, I, the I think the process that they took to make this movie severely affected the story in a way that even now, even as I've grown to really like this movie a lot more and really come to appreciate the things that it does well, there's just problems in how it was made that I can't separate from the actual story itself. So there's really, a, yeah. So there's a couple. There's a couple that really stick out, and I want to like give these to you guys and then see what you think and see maybe if you can change my mind on them because the first one is Terrio and JJ writing this story and they've said this they wrote it to out surprise what Ryan Johnson did which to me is not how you make a story they mm. said they they took the idea of um the plot twist the this isn't going to go the way you think that we have in last jedi but I don't think they used it in the right way so there's moments like Ray being revealed as a palpatine that's a hard sell from the get go um and the way the movie puts it together, it just kind of dumps it on your lap with zero emotion. There's no music. It doesn't make sense why everybody's just circling around them. And you can you can physically feel that Adam Driver does not want to be saying those lines. So there's that. <laughs> then there is the, the uh, identity thing, which is a big theme, which I'm a fan of in here. But again, with the Palpatine thing, I don't think you needed her to have a special last name for her to claim the Skywalker name at the end, which I like. Okay, so there's problems in in trying to outdo another storyteller rather than take the natural progression from that storyteller. Mm. The other big thing is, and I love Leia in this story. I love what they do with her. Um, I think they handled it as well as they possibly could have. And at the same time, looking at the behind the scenes uh, documentary, they talked about how the whole film was basically written around the lines that they had with Leia. And yeah. I would have rather had less Leia that felt more natural than more Leia where you're like, okay, this came from this part of The Force Awakens or whatever it may be. There are pro- there's points where it just feels unnatural. And so when I get to moments like Leia passing away and it's the back of her head and you know that it's somebody else playing Leia, it really just kind of it, it kills it for me. Um, and it makes it not as emotional as it should be for someone like me who's extremely attached to Leia. Um, and, and then there's all these important things that are just not even discussed. We've talked about the, uh, Palpatine's uh, broadcast, his radio broadcast, both of them. Uh, we don't really get to hear. Uh, Mustafar is not identified, even though that's a big deal that Kylo Ren is on Vader's home planet. That's something that needs to be presented um, mm. and explored. Finn being force sensitive out of nowhere uh, just makes zero sense. Then there's things like uh, going back to Leia when Leia dies or when she's dying. The book handles that so excellently with bringing Luke in and telling her it's time and it coming from the injuries that happened from her being sucked out into space in The Last Jedi. Awesome. 
that need that kind of stuff needed to be in the movie. Why Ben dies needs to be in the movie. So there's a lot of things that because they were trying to, and this is a problem I have with JJ in terms of how he makes films. He makes films for the fun of him making the film, which is fine, except for you're making huge blockbusters. So you can't just be bringing your buddies in and creating roles that are not natural to the story, like Beaumont. Doesn't make any sense. No need for him at all. He's just a buddy of JJ's. Snap Wexley, don't need him in the story, just a buddy of JJ's. All these friends of JJ get these roles in these stories because he wants to be able to say he did this or did that, right? The film doesn't come first, he comes first. The story mm. doesn't come first, he Ow. comes first. Wow. And this is something, this is a problem I have with Force Awakens too. So this is not, I mean, this is the first time I've really brought it up, but it's something that's been with me since Force Awakens. But I was like, you know what, I'll let it slide, you know, he's bringing Star Wars back, whatever. But there's a, there's a complete lack of respect for the prequels. Uh, there is a whole bunch of potential left on the table. And at the end of the day, you cannot approach a story by handcuffing yourself with l seven lines, ten lines that you have from an actress who can no longer do those lines slash trying to outdo somebody else. That's not how you make mythology. That's how you make a fan film. Dang. Brandon, bring in the... That was my number not, three, guys. Buckle up. I was up. about to say... <laughs> You're not really wrong on a lot of it. Yeah. Okay. Can I can I can I just record that again so that I can use it for my ringtone? No. Mm, no. <laughs> 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 nope. Nope. No, it's it's I mean there's there's some things that you can't change. You know, you cannot change that Carrie Fisher died. Right. I don't know what I would have done differently because yeah. I wouldn't want her recast. I wouldn't want her just written out and having some kind of off-screen pre-Rise of Skywalker death. I wouldn't... And, I and wouldn't. that honestly is, is the reason that this is probably my number three is because I don't know how they could have done it better. Like, I have mad respect right. for how they handled it. I really think they handled it yeah. well, but I think that having the handcuffs is something that just kind of sucks. In terms, though, of all the other JJ criticisms, while you are right, I think a lot of it could have just been solved. I've said this time and time again. I'm sure I'll continue to say it. A lot of this could have been solved by giving either him or any other one person control to write or at least be involved with all three movies. There is no... agree. Yeah. There is, there is no reason why they should have given it to what turned out to be two was even going to be three different writers to say, do what you want. This is not different book series. This is not T you know, episodes of a TV show. This right. is a saga. This is something that should be treated as three parts of a whole. So even if all three went to JJ, I would have been fine. If all three went to Ryan Johnson, I would have been fine. If all three went to, Taika Waititi. I, I was going to say, don't, don't make say, it. This. Don't say Colin Trevorrow, because. <laughs> Oof. Oof. But see, just, okay, just so, make it the same person. Right, right. And I, and I think, and I've said this pre-Rise of Skywalker and post-Rise of Skywalker, Star Wars is best when it is the vision of one, maybe at max two people. You look at the best Star Wars yeah. that we have. A New Hope, all George Lucas. Empire Strikes Back, 
mostly Kirshner, some George Lucas. Return of the Jedi, George Lucas. The prequels, all George Lucas. Okay, <laughs> and and even if you even with the critiques that has, it has a unified feel and storytelling method to it, right? So then you go yeah. to Clone yeah. Wars. Who is that? That's George Lucas and Dave Filoni. Then you go to Rebels. Who is it? Dave Filoni. Then you go to Mandalorian. John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Okay, I mean that's just that's I. It's one of those things like that's just how Star Wars is made, right? But I feel that what Rise of Skywalker tells me about the behind the scenes is that Kathleen Kennedy basically said, sure, JJ, do whatever the hell you want. And then said, whispered to the story group, like, hey, you guys are going to have to figure this out. Right. And he just got to do whatever he wanted with complete disregard for the natural progression of the story, which is why I say I love this movie in isolation. It is a super exciting, fun ride. But when you put it in the larger context, I think they drop the ball. Uh, is the, the last little bit of criticism kind of kind of drops a little bit, be, just because we know that there was a a complete draft of a story by Trevorrow that was dumped, and then that's a lot of time lost. And without a willingness to change a release date and everything that goes around that, that's a time crunch that that really shows on the screen. Like that, they, they really succumb to that. Like we've got to bang out a script now, yeah. so we can get everything started. That's if fair. they had started and kept with with Abrams and allowed him to do nine from the beginning, that would have been fine. If they had allowed a singular person to write a draft and, and go with it, no matter who it was, it probably would have been better. But I, I, I mean, this is kind of what Lindsay and I talked about when we did the commentary for it. There's a lot of this stuff that I think shows up because there was a refusal to adjust the time frame be, in order to to change direction on the scripts and, and, and the story there. That's really the problem to me. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I think I think there's definitely issue with um, Bob Iger saying that Colin Trevorrow's script was too inside baseball because if you're going to go inside baseball, like, what better way to do it than the conclusion of the entire saga? And let's be honest, like, you're expecting that people are walking in knowing what's happened in the other eight Star Wars movies. Yeah. So going to Mortis, not a big deal. How is that any different from going to Exegol? It's a force place. There's you know? no one going into episode nine going, gee, what's a lightsaber for again? Exactly. You know, exactly. Just- All right. So let, let, let's move on because I do want to actually get into like the what I have for the actual film itself um, and, and hear what the rest of you guys have to say. So, Lindsay, going back to you, your number two point for your bottom list. Yeah, this, um, Drew, I might be stealing one from you just because I know it's something you and I have spoken about before, but it is the Knights of Ren. Not because, yeah, yeah, not, not because they're, they're bad just because they, because they're they're nothing. They're they're (laughs) They're just, yeah, they, they don't do anything. So we hype up these Knights of Ren and I would have rather, them not be in it at all and for us to leave the movie wondering about them continuing to wonder and continuing to push for more books and stories about them then hey here they are like they're just gonna gonna creep around Mm. creep creep to bring them back into this film after mentioning them in seven and then do absolutely nothing with them is unbelievable to me yeah like I don't, there's gotta be chapters to that story that are on the cutting room floor somewhere because they, they serve exactly the same purpose 
as the red-robed guards do around Palpatine in the same fight mm-hmm. during episode nine, which is they are there for Ray to kill. And <laughs> the, the Knights of Ren are there for, for, for good boy Ben to kill. That's it. That's the whole thing that they do. And, and they, they muddy up a perfectly clean Star Destroyer. And That's the, the every time they're on screen, I mean, it's it's like it's I call it an Aquaman moment because this happened like eight times in Aquaman where he just like stands in like a superhero pose. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he's got his his hands on his yeah. hips. Like it got to the point in uh, in Aquaman. I'm sitting there and I like rolled my eyes. I was like, really? Another one? That's what I feel like happened with the Knights of Ren. They're yeah. like, here, they're on the screen. And then Aren't they, they don't really cool? Matter. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's thought behind them. I mean, there's a lot of detail about them in the visual dictionary. The Yeah, well that's that's the problem. Everything that we're expected to know they do off screen seems awesome. I would have loved to have watched them catch Chewbacca. I would have loved to oh, have we'll watched them you know Yeah. Like all there's all this stuff that it's like that would be cool to see. Why can't we see it? Hmm. Yep, and and they aren't as intimidating when Ben is fighting them off as they could be because they don't do anything. Like, if we had seen them brutally, like, okay, brutally in Star Wars, not, like, actually, like, brutally, but Star Wars brutally beat up Chewbacca before taking him, you know? And you see how they're efficient at working together and taking down Chewie, who we've seen, who we've never seen taken down, really, Uh then you have some context for why we should be scared when Ben is fighting them. But I don't think it's there. Mm. Mm. I'm Good stuff. That one. All right, Drew, what about you? Well, this is the one I thought you were going to steal, Lindsay, because we had quite the conversation Ooh. with it. But um, and I, I don't know. <laughs> the stupid dagger just bothers me <laughs> all, all the time. <laughs> I'm so no. happy because no, these are two things just... that I wanted on my list that are not there that I'm like, yes, thank you. No, I this one is all you, though, my friend. Everything Defend it. about everything about the stupid dagger about, oh, it's the most frustrating plot device I, I've seen in a long time. Like, every time I think about it, it makes me more angry. I was watching it again this morning, and I was like, oh, it still bothers me. I thought maybe I could get over it, but no, I can't do it. I just can't do it. There's no reasonable way this this token exists in that universe in the way in which it's intended to be. It, it's not <laughs> it's not feasible. It is not possible. There's no person who decided I need to construct some kind of an item that points to where this other wayfinder is located. Mind you, there's only two of these things in the galaxy. One of them is on Darth Vader's castle's planet. The other one, hmm, where should I put the other one? Now this this. The existence of the Wayfinder in the closet of the dark side, it, 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 it requires that, not, I don't know if it requires, but it, it certainly tends to mean that it was there during the Death Star 2 orbiting Endor, right? Like, Correct. We don't think somebody snuck aboard the wreckage and hid it back there, right? So it, it, somebody had to say, okay, I know where the two things are. One of them's on Mustafar, and one of them is on Endor. Oh, no, the one above Endor dropped into the ocean. How am I ever going to find it again? So somebody had to go and stand on the exact location, where to see it, and say, okay, look, if I cut a notch in the blade like this, and I make a little hidden strip, which only comes out when you look closely at the thing, 
and you pull it out in a circular fashion, it's going to point to where the actual tower is. Not in the outline of the wreckage that the blade identified, but where it's pointing to the tower in front of that wreckage line. So in order for this thing to work... Oh, wait, wait, wait Drew, not- Drew, you, you forgot a very important part. Because oh, then you're going to, in an ancient language, scratch the coordinates of it oh, and put it on we'll a completely unattached planet. We're getting there, don't worry. <laughs> because first you have to accept that the thing exists, and for the thing to exist and function in the way in which the film demonstrates that it exists, you have to understand the intent by which somebody had to craft and make this thing and then stick it in their pocket with them. So you have to stand in the right spot, on the right shore, at the right time, at the right height, which means you have to be exactly as tall as Daisy Ridley and hold it at exactly the right angle as she holds it for it to work, guys. No. But Mortis was to too hard me. for people to understand. This, this is <laughs> I, it's, it's just one of those things where you can suspend no, disbelief no, for a one of little bit and just say, no, Lindsay, no, no, stop really talking. No. They made it hard to find. They didn't want no. just anyone to be able to get it. They didn't put the dagger someplace else. No, it's it not- crashed there. It wasn't meant, the dagger wasn't meant to be on Pasana. We don't know where it was going to end up. It was, well, hang on. We, we don't do know, know how where they it was got meant it to in be. the first place. It's, it's the same one that Ochi uses to kill Ray's parents. Okay? It, it's the one in which he has with him 20 years before. So the thing is at least 20 years old. So it is exactly intended for this purpose of going back and finding the Wayfinder. Like, that's what this thing is for. It's, it's, its sole purpose, and has been since its inception, is to point someone, we don't know who, because the person who designed it knew where the Wayfinder was! <laughs> Doesn't it... See, for me, that just makes me more curious about the person who designed it than it does angry about it ex- its existence. See, the problem... Do you mean curious the about their who- sanity, or, like... <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean. <laughs> no, I want I want no. to learn more. I just want to learn more about the creation of it. I don't I, write it off as this doesn't make sense. I hate this. this. To me, it this piques is, it, my it, interest. It is more frustrating to me that this thing exists and is designed in the way it is than Luke Skywalker's lightsaber falling from des- from Bes- or from Cloud City into Bespin, which is a cloud giant, and then somehow being found years later. Like that lightsaber story bothers me less than this thing does, because <laughs> at least Maz no goes, eh, "We'll talk about it later." <laughs> yeah, no, they just they completely ignore how like there is no logical sequence in which you would make this dagger. You know, right. like because if you if you're saying like okay the dagger was was sent to reveal to someone where it was where the uh, wayfinder was okay so and why does Ochi have it why does Ochi have it did somebody sit there and carve the exact shape of the Death Star wreckage to point to the exact spot or was it made before which then means that somebody knew the second Death Star was going to be destroyed and land at that exact spot but didn't think to tell Palpatine because Palpatine knew we like it just there's no no that's why I mean I think we can we can assume it was made after the Death Star crash I don't think that's a wild assumption 
and then I I would also go ahead to assume that the reason it was made in the first place is because these Sith cultists that Ochi was a part of knew eventually they would need to find Exegol, but there were other things they had to do first. Other things, as we know, turn out to be killing Ray. Where it's it's not that to me, it's not that crazy to say, okay, let me leave a trail of breadcrumbs in case something happens to me. Only people in this cult, this secret society, are going to know what to do and what to look for. I mean, but they that didn't would be leave breadcrumbs. People... He just left a whole loaf of bread sitting out there. No, 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 guys. The no, it was, was cultists are on Exegol. They are already there. They don't need the Wayfinder. <laughs> Clearly they, they do, it. though. There's no, more of them don't. out there. Are, I'm so <laughs> curious about who's trying to get to Exegol, who's already on there. I just want more of these stories. I want it explained. I don't think it, oh, it's I something it to write too. off. <laughs> <laughs> like, if somebody could write a short story about how the dagger makes sense, they would immediately leap into the levels of Claudia Gray. Like, let, that's... <laughs> Delilah Dawson. Yeah. She is the queen of short stories. The only one who I she think did, The only <sighs> one. She did um, The Perfect Weapon, yeah, which is, like, tr- the most yeah. incredible explanation without being... Yeah, in your face about it. Yeah. yeah, I don't know about that. Anyway, it's it's the the dagger. It's just it's it's, it's mind boggling to me because again, it is one of those things. The more I think about it, the more complicated things have to be for it to work the way they want it to work. And it's just like, oh my god, makes my brain start to crumble a little bit. So going on to something else that doesn't work, and now for something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> well. This one bothers me, and I've mentioned it before, is the the fake deaths. Uh, I, mm. I feel like the fake deaths in this story are so prevalent that they destroy any emotion when you get to raise death at the end. And I think it even takes away the value of Ben's sacrifice because by that point in the film, death has lost all of its consequences. So mm. an example... To, to kind of add context to something that I think works. And I know there's people who are going to disagree with me, but story-wise, whether you like the the actual animation of it or not, Leia getting sucked out into space is a death fake-out that works because it tells you more about her with it happening. It tells you that she's trained in the Force in a way that you've never seen before. It enhances her character and her desperation to uh, survive, to continue to get the Resistance ready to do what they need to do. On the other hand, you have Chewie's death. You have it in a very impactful way with Ray uh, shooting lightning, which I think is pretty cool and is a good way of showing, like, this is not just her being angry. This is something deep inside of her, right? You're hit hard with it. You believed that it happened because it was something that built Ray's character. And that darkness that's in her is starting to have consequences, right? All of that's great. But then miraculously, oh, what, there was another transport. No mm. clues that it was there. Uh, nothing to do with the rest of the movie. We just don't really want Chewie to die, right? And as much <laughs> as I love Chewie, I love Chewie. And I know we had to get Ray to go search for the dagger, right? Pro- plot devices. But I, I think if Chewie had died there, it would have been a good decision. I think that would have been the better decision. Uh, and let Leia be the last of the group that's living so that you can connect when she connects with Ben and she gives her life to, to help redeem him, it means even more because she's the last of the legacy characters. At the same time, 3PO 
just gets his memory back so we can have a, a chuckle. Um, where you had this droid that was built by Anakin in episode one who sacrifices himself to help absolve the galaxy of the consequences of a war that his maker helped create. You have all of this weight behind it and any little bit of concern you have over Ben being dead is thrown away because you're like, oh no, <laughs> 3PO losing his memory was just a joke. We got you guys. It just, it cheapens everything. And I think about how Ray's death and Ben's death impacted me that first time in the, in the film. And it really, they, it hit me. But at the same time, I never felt like they were dead. And I still don't feel like Ben is dead. I feel like... And I think maybe that's part of the point, but death has no consequences in this film. And so I was never worried, like, okay, Ray's gonna, she'll wake back up, she'll live. And and I mm. think that takes a lot of value away from what she does on Exegol and what she is willing to give uh, and give up in order to help save the ones. I would have been fine if at least one of them died. I think it would have been vindicated. I think we can emotionally handle that much it would have felt real and it would have felt earned and deserved. None of those deaths would have been, I hate to say unwelcomed, but the <laughs> the other piece of it too is I'm a big Westworld fan. And when Drew and I were recording our commentary, it was straight after season three where Westworld is like the, the master of, or it was the master. Now it's just overused of like, we're going to kill off this character and it's going to be the most emotional scene ever. And we're going to make you cry. Not that I ever cry on TV. Yes, I do. Um, <sighs> but, but then like a week later, they're like, <laughs> by the way, it's a computer system. No one's ever really dead. Here's everyone back for the eighth time. And it's like, I kind of just want someone to die. <laughs> like, it's, it's okay. And that I think after, going through a few seasons of Westworld, now I feel that way in Star Wars, where it's kind of just like, someone can die. It's okay. We know what death is. Let's just do this. Let's let's get it over <laughs> with, guys. We know what death is. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, if you... So, like, if you think about the EU, right? You, you can't kill off Han, Luke, and Leia, but you kill off Chewie, right? Because you need to... It The EU was at a point where you needed to really feel like, okay, maybe these characters are actually in danger instead of that they're going to get away with it once again, you know? Yeah. Um, and you've already sacrificed two of those characters in the first two films of this trilogy, but somehow Chewie and 3PO get fake outs. <laughs> yeah, that is a bridge you know? too far. And, and it, it, to me, it feels like, oh, well, you know, Chewie and 3PO can live a long time, so we want to leave them around for stories that we can tell afterwards where uh, this film is the end of the saga, mm -hmm. and I felt feel like, and this is why I've said, I don't feel like it is a good conclusion to the Skywalker saga because it doesn't feel like an ending. It feels like the end of this, but there's another thing coming afterwards. And I, I was very adamant that if we're going to have something after Rise of Skywalker, I don't want it to be what we're going to get, which is stuff that's already been semi-announced of you know, adventures with Rey and Poe and Finn right after Rise of Skywalker. I don't want that. Put it 1,500 years after or something like that. Cool. You know, but this should have been a definitive end to the Skywalkers, to the characters involved, to all of that. It should have been a punctuation 
an end of your essay, complete end. And because you keep, because you fake out these deaths and then keep the characters alive, it feels like, okay, well, we don't want to kill off people that, you know, people know because we still need to tell other stories afterwards. If you had not faked out the deaths, I never would have thought about that. If you had just had Chewie get captured and not had him die, I wouldn't be thinking that. If you had just had 3PO, they somehow routed around the system and were able to get him to talk and he never lost his memory, wouldn't think that. But it just, it really adds to that lack of this is the conclusion to the Skywalker saga. Yeah. I think the 3PO one bothers me a little bit more too. Because that was something that 3PO decided to do. You know, it's not like Chewie where Chewie would have been killed. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Chewie death, had it been a real death, that was great. That was impactful. And I'll get back to that later. But 3PO chose to make that sacrifice. And they even hang that lantern by saying... You know, does R2 back up your memory? And he kind of makes an excuse for that. Like, everything was laid out perfectly for him to not come back and for them to be able to honor that sacrifice and the choice that he made. And by by taking away that hero's death, that's what I also find really unsatisfying. Yep. Completely yep. agree. Well, because you make a joke about R2's, you know, archives are notoriously unreliable but then you know he he they're, they're fine they're actually fine yeah it turns right? out to be fine in the yeah. end yeah it just and and mind you like i'm not a huge 3po fan he's fine whatever in all the other movies this movie i remember in the theater going dude 3po is on point in this movie like this is 3PO's best movie by yes. far. Yes. And you That's one of that's one of my backup top mm. threes. <laughs> it, it is, he is hilarious. <laughs> He's on point. Even the references like the 42 years, which is a reference to how long it's been since the New Hope, yep. works. Even little things like that where everything in the story works with 3PO except for that end. And again, you have something that is constructed by Anakin who put the galaxy in a position where all these things are happening. And he can be what helps absolve those sins, but not really. Just yeah. bothers me. So, all right, let's go to our most egregious yeah. thing because if we've already had this stuff so far, yeah, ooh, buckle up, so baby. Mine, all right, Lindsay. Mine is another. Just <laughs> I wish they had expanded on it. I get that you can't stop the movie and totally explain this, but when Palpatine says, "I made Snoke," and then they just move on to the next <laughs> thing. It's like, wait, wait hold up. <laughs> I, I have a question. It's one of those things where if you were in class and your teacher dropped a bomb like that, like every hand would just shoot up. And if the teacher tried to just go on with the lesson, you would have me, the kid in the back, being super annoying, just be like, hey, hey, wait, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. That's that's not right. No. <laughs> so I, I just wish they took maybe like, I don't know, 45 seconds to, if not explain it, at least expand on it. Oh, you mean the uh, the tank of Snoke's wasn't enough information for you? No, no, believe it or not, that that might have raised a few <laughs> I, I more questions. Unsatisfied. Yeah, more questions than nothing else. <laughs> uh, Snoke. Yeah. So I don't know that that for me was just right off the bat one of those like hold up 
<laughs> Hang on. If if I yeah. could change something in the movie, we would have just had that drawn out a little bit oh. more. Golly. I had I forgotten think, about that part. If anything, at least don't have the tube of bodies there, like clone bodies. Just say, like, I made Snoke, and it's like, okay, he somehow learned how to create something with the midi-chlorians, which would make sense because he learned how to cheat death. But you have, like, this weird clone thing, and then you have it come back in the throwaway line with Beaumont about cloning and dark side ability. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I can't disagree with you there. Yeah, you are correct. It's, yeah, that's not great. It's not I great, guys. I don't know if it would make my list, or it didn't make my list, but that's it. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. At this point, you better know if it, if it <laughs> yeah. makes your list. You have like five seconds <laughs> to figure we're, out whether it makes your list We're a little late for that. Yeah, Here's, no kidding. Drew, what was, what was the last thing on your list, though, Drew? Uh, well, uh, Brandon already covered it. It was the inability to commit to actual consequences. Ding, ding, this ding, film ding. has no idea how to make things stick. Like, all the things that it undoes, including all the character deaths and sacrifices, um, so much of The Last Jedi, just the more... I, I, I tried to give the film some credit at the, when it first came out to say, no, it's, it's not like trying to undo what Last Jedi did. It's not really trying to reset some things and set some set up some different things. No, I, I've come kind of full circle and say this is, this is just like a giant middle finger to Ryan Johnson at this point. Um, the failure of the Resistance to summon assistance at Crate was a huge, huge game-changing moment to say that they are on their own. And then all of a sudden, since Lando Calrissian shows up, because a man goes out and does it, now 14,000 ships decide to show up. Um, Kylo Ren smashes his mask and, and turns his back on who he was as a, as a student to say, no more, I am now going to become the man in charge. He becomes the man in charge, and then he rebuilds his mask. No! Um... And, and just like little things like the Falcon crashes on the Endor moon and they just rebuild it again. It's like the ship was on fire at the beginning and not like in like the cool kid way of saying like, oh, no, that was on fire. Yo, <laughs> I don't know if that's what the kids say anymore. It's like been 100 years since I was a kid. I think Lindsay is more in touch with that than, it than was, either of us. There were flames. <laughs> Guys, I'm a light. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're uh, something called a vibe now, whatever that means either. <laughs> Just crash the ship. It's okay. Just put it in the ground. It's, it's, you know, it's time to do these kinds of things to make it a final chapter. Kind of like what Brandon was saying. It's like, what's the point? Of, what are you saving these things for? If not for this last chapter where things get to go all out. It's like when you play a video game and you save up all your health potions for the final battle and then you just don't use anything. It's like, why are you doing this? Um, it's just crazy. And because of the story impact that it has, it takes away the value of the, the Ray and Ben moments there at the end where you're just like, we just know this isn't the end. It's like all of that has built up to the, these, this crescendo moment between these two characters, but because of the way that permanence is treated as like immaterial to the story, we know it just doesn't matter. Oh, it's so disheartening to, to see all that stuff, and it's just, it's, it's everywhere. It's in like every other scene in this film. It's really, really sad. I mean, that kind of leads into my number one, so I'm just going to throw it out there because I think it, it fits in with the conversation, is the lack of connective tissue with the other eight films and honestly the biggest piece of that being no Anakin Skywalker um now now hang on why do you want that though 
Like Anakin he, specifically, because he's in the film. No, 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 no. He is not in the film. He has a line in the film. He has two lines. We looked at the subtitles. Okay, he has two <laughs> lines in the film. There are six movies about him. He is the chosen one. He yeah. is the one who brought balance to the Force. But see, I think that's kind of the point. Is his his work is done? It's good to go. His job is finished. Right. He did what he exactly what he was supposed to do. But what you okay. do, what you do now, I I like the be with me moment. I really do. It's 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 that's one of cool. it's probably the number four on my list. It's not on my top three, but it's probably the number four. Definitely gets an honorable mention. But with this being the end of the Skywalker saga, and yet they didn't have the Skywalker that the saga was completely about is a huge problem. You put Anakin basically on the same level as Luminara and Dooley. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's laughable. And because... I'm going back to how the movie was made. Because of how J.J. made this movie, and he made this movie, him and Terriel made this movie to do what they thought was cool instead of doing what was right, cinematically, story-wise, you lose a lot. Like Drew said, I don't know if it retconned... I don't, I don't think it retconned The Last Jedi. It definitely lacks the connective tissue with it, though. The middle mm. finger might be a little extreme, but I could get on board. But you have so many other things and that you could have done, that you should have done, with respect to the prequels, with respect to everything else that has happened before but because jj doesn't like the prequels we don't get padme we don't get to see any force ghosts we seriously have no uh background again on palpatine going into these things you go to tatooine which i i like the scene i like what it's doing i like ray taking on the skywalker name there's been no one for so long who are you i'm right Ray who? Ray Skywalker. But you you don't even have Shmi's headstone there? You couldn't put that in there? You know? You have uh oh, there's Luke and Leia smiling him, even though Leia everything almost fell apart over Tatooine. Like you have all of these problems. And I don't think Ray stays on, on Tatooine. I just want to make that clear. Like, that's not the part that bothers me because I don't think that's a good read of the story. It was this movie paid homage to things that J.J. as a fan of Star Wars thought was cool and ignores everything that was important in the previous film and in the, in the six films before that. And mm. to me, that is a huge, huge problem and why this doesn't, feel like the end of the Skywalker saga because it doesn't feel like a part of the Skywalker saga. It feels mm. as ancillary as Rogue One or Solo, where they're really great stories, but they're really fun to watch, but you don't need them to understand the greater context, and everything should have led up to Episode Nine, and instead Episode Nine's like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> and And that's a big problem for me, and I think... Anakin is the manifestation of that. If anything, if you don't want to have a whole bunch of Force ghosts, cool, I get it. But you at least have you have to have Anakin there. I mean, even if it's showing like go down into the pit where where Ben falls and have Anakin like 
help him up or something. I don't know, but you need to <laughs> but have. But then it's not the Skywalker saga. Then it's the Anakin saga, and that He's would the be Skywalker. the equivalent. <laughs> But he no, because Luke is, Luke is, Leia is, God. and then Rey is. But that's that would be like whoa, saying, whoa, whoa. "Are you saying oh, Anakin yeah. is not a Skywalker? He is the I'm Skywalker." Not, I'm saying he's not the Skywalker. Yes, he is. <laughs> no, the Skywalker saga is meant to be about the family. Otherwise, you just have three generations of one war. That would be like saying, "I'm going to hate." Oh God, I don't even want to say this, but he would. Pick any country Commit. we were at Do war it. with. Commit. Come and, on. <laughs> uh, I want to say it so badly. That would be like picking any country we were at war with in World War II and saying, I'm going to fight that one battle for the next three generations. You know, just because my grandfather but we are might fighting have hated that battle. Or, that battle exists today. We have Nazis today. I wasn't even thinking of the Nazis. Um, you, but, but that's that's the issue, though. You're, they take on different forms, and you need different forms to fight that. You can't just say, "Here's Anakin again to save the day." Again, I'm like not every, save every the day. single I don't thing want him. can't be Anakin. You need a, that's the whole point of Poe's entire arc is you need the next generation but, to be able to but, step up. Snap, hold on, hold right. on. But Lindsay, no, 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 she's not because everything that Ray does needs Luke and Leia. Everything to uh, to teach her, just to teach right. you. You so love then, the line. You that that's the burden of all great masters. We are what they grow beyond. Ray grew beyond the Skywalkers. That's not a bad thing. Okay, that's so a then great if she thing. grew beyond the Skywalkers, then why is she taking up the Skywalker name while looking at Luke and Leia at the end of the film? Which, mind you, I'm I've said it before. I'm desperate to find this it's picture. It's okay to but pay I, homage. So then you bring in Anakin. Oh. They did, though. They brought in his voice, but they didn't yes. make it they Anakin's also, movie. They, I don't want you to make it Anakin's movie. I'm not saying you need it to have it It sounds like you're arguing that no, you want no. it to be I am saying movie. you need to see Anakin Skywalker to pay respect to all generations. You no. are not paying respect. I disagree. You're paying respect I think, to I think you're you're put, I think you put Hayden Christensen's face into it, it becomes... Anakin's movie, Anakin's fight, and look at everything Anakin did. No, because yeah. that's why I'm saying if you put Anakin in a, a scene with Ben or something like that, like you don't need to have him in everything. I don't even. I don't want you to. I don't really even need you to change the "be with me" moment. I don't need you to change uh, Ray melting Palpatine away. Like I don't need you to change any of that. But you don't have. The one that both started and resolved all the issues that this generation is having to deal with. So basically, what you're saying is that it doesn't matter. That Anakin Skywalker doesn't... You've already thrown things out of balance, which I'm fine with. I'm, fi I'm fine with things getting out of balance, and then you've got to, you know, there's the legacy, and how do we handle that, and... We continually have to fight for things to be right. All of that stuff, cool. I'm cool with it. But if you're going to throw it out of balance and you're going to have Anakin acknowledge that he balanced the Force before, but you're only going to have it in the faint echo in the background. It's not as loud as Luke. It's about at the same level as <laughs> Luminara Unduli or Ahsoka. And as much as I love Ahsoka, if you're going to put Ahsoka versus Anakin Skywalker in this film, who are you going to have in it more? You should have Anakin Skywalker in it more, right? 
I'm not saying that you need to have him take over the movie. Have him lift up Ben, not say a single word, and Ben doesn't even acknowledge it. Like, it's like having so Kane. Here's, oh, here's, have my, him, que- here's have my question. Hold on, hold on. Have yeah. him back in the film in the same way that you brought Kanan back in that moment in Rebels. Kanan dies, and the next episode... Or, or two episodes later, something like that, Hera's having to make a decision, and what happens? Kanan comes back and puts his hand on her shoulder, and she knows how to make the right decision. Something as simple as that, and you have not only naturally told the story, because it makes no sense that you're not going to have Anakin have a role in the story, you are paying respect to all of the generations that Rey is taking on the name of. She takes on the name of Skywalker, on the homestead of Shmi Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker's mother, and there is no acknowledgement of either of them. What? How can you do this? This is outrageous. It's unfair. It is so. What degree of connective tissue do you want? <laughs> In order for it to not be Anakin's story, what I is the, literally the, just what's the what's the measure of X for for a Force ghost, wants, and that's it? Just a lineless Force no, ghost. No, what he wants. Yes. Want, instead of he wants to have Ben Solo confront the ghost of Anakin Skywalker no. instead of Han Solo. Nope, not moment. at all. That's what you're advocating for. That is not at all what I'm advocating for. I'm advocating for an acknowledgement that Anakin Skywalker is important to the Skywalker saga that's two-thirds about Anakin Skywalker. As said by George Lucas himself. Six films already. Can we get, like, no, I don't think that. I'm with you, Drew. You are are really, I I understand what you're trying, your point, and and I can understand where you're coming from. I just absolutely would not want that at all. Like that is not what this these films need to be about. <sighs> all right, fine. Especially, like I like I'm, your, I like your uh, the the way you bring up Kanan and Hera because that is a good demonstration. But but that's not something that can be replicated here because of the amount of distance between all of these things. Like even in universe, you're talking about days with Hera and Kanan in connection. But even out in in uh, in the real world, you're looking at maximum two weeks time between those episodes airing. Now, when you're talking about the films, the last time we saw Anakin on screen was 15 years ago, and we mm-hmm. had two major tentpole titles be released since then. Well, I guess technically we saw in Rogue whoa, whoa, One. Whoa, 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 whoa! Hold on, time out. Because you're bringing Vader's memory back. You're bringing Vader back in in having you literally have. Kylo talking to the ghost of Darth Vader as manipulated mm, by Palpatine. You have, you have him his... talking to Palpatine. No, but you have him talking to you... Vader as portrayed by Palpatine. You have him talking to his helmet. So you're acknowledging that Kylo Ren knows about Anakin Skywalker and knows about Anakin Skywalker being Darth Vader as revealed in the Bloodline novel. So you're telling me that that, okay. that then having Anakin for a singular scene in the film is a bridge too far? Counterpoint. I think a singular scene the, is not going to be enough though, is the problem. Yeah. Like, if there's no a, way to there's no way to do it without turning it into Anakin's story. And yeah, as far as I, Kylo and Vader and the Bloodline novel, that's all forming who Ben is and then who Kylo is, and it's telling us 
what his motivations are and why he picked up this mask in the first place. We don't have that. Like, that's not Ray's motivation. Ray is not motivated by Anakin Skywalker by any means. Right. Nor is she really motivated by Luke or Leia. She is equipped yeah. by them, but yeah. she doesn't go and she doesn't go to fight Palpatine to save them or to redeem them. No, but she does go and save Palpatine, and it's Luke who is the one that says the final thing in the "Be with Me" moment that motivates her. So there's, like, I'm guys, I'm not. You can't honestly tell me that not having Anakin Skywalker in the film is the better way to do it. Like, there's no argument you could present that would convince me otherwise because you have six films in which he his story is being told and yes his story is done but you're you're saying in this film you're saying in this trilogy that the stories that come before our lives impact our lives and that we are going to be influenced by them right so then yeah I, so so then i would be a fool to look at and, and i'm gonna get real real world just for some context here to look at the the Nazi groups popping up now, creating heinous acts, and and be like, mm, but they're not they're not attached to that Hitler guy. So maybe you know we just ignore. That doesn't make any sense. No, wait, you just you just argued your yeah, you just argued your own point though. Your your point if we were to line these two concepts up to against one another, what you're advocating for now in an, an American perspective is to say go back to the Eisenhower playbook and that's how we should yeah. be dealing with things. No. That's what you're advocating for. No, because I'm not yes. saying. But I'm yeah. not. I am not saying you have to have Anakin involved in defeating Palpatine at all. You just need to have some sense of his presence physically there not just so putting then you're... in you put in he has the same amount of dialogue as luminara unduly <laughs> but what okay she's so really you're, cool you're, wait 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 let's let's think of this this is your number one thing wrong yes. with the movie have you is heard it, how is it wait 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 let me finish the question is your number one thing that is wrong with the movie the fact that anakin skywalker is not in it or the fact that there's no connective tissue Yes. Which one? <laughs> Anakin Skywalker. Because I think I think Drew and I can argue that Anakin Skywalker should not have physically been in this movie. We cannot argue that there could have been more connective tissue. Other ways though. The, Other ways. The major issue is the lack of connective tissue with okay. Anakin Skywalker being the most egregious example. So how about we, we close out the bottoms and move into the tops by saying conclusively that while the three of us think there could have been more connective tissue, we are disagreeing with what that connective tissue could have been. And I personally would argue this for hours. I vote it's another episode entirely. That's fair. Let us All know right. who you agree with on Twitter. At Clapper Sabres. <laughs> no, but really, it. let's dive into the... No, I'm just <laughs> no, because let's spend another two hours. I do want to get into the top because I am really yeah. excited about this movie. Because, like I said, like in isolation, I re <laughs> no, like as heated as I've gotten in isolation, I really like this movie. Uh, there's there's a lot of things in here that I I like. I wanted to mention that just were taken over by other things. Like Leia's saber, for example, is a good one. Like I love Leia's saber. I love them making her a Jedi, all that kind of stuff. Visually, like I'm watching it on mute right now and it definitely works as a silent film as far as 
the ending of the movie. Like, there's some really good stuff. So I'm excited to dig into this. And Lindsay, <laughs> I think you are up first since this is your favorite film. Let yeah. us know what you kind of sort of like about it. I'm just going to start with a real easy softball because even I will say that it's not to me it undoes The Last Jedi. I just, and again, I've said this wait, on this wait, podcast wait. before. Did you just say undoes? Yeah, she did. I, was I did let just it say undoes, too, yeah. Damn it. I, I, Damn I can't it. let that undoes ride. It. If we're looking at credibility of arguments, I think you just. Yeah. <laughs> me speaks English real well. <laughs> me um, speak English. <laughs> so I, I wish things in The Last Jedi would have been different had we known what we were getting with the rise of Skywalker. However, there is one thing that the last Jedi introduces that the rise of Skywalker just does better. It oh, builds on tread it lightly. It, counselor. I, all right. Or I dare you to argue this point. The force Skyping in rise of Skywalker is cooler and it's used more effectively than it was in The Last Jedi. That's not to say it was bad in The Last Jedi. I'm just saying that is a great example of taking something that is introduced in Act 2 and just making it so much better in Act 3 and really effectively building on it. Uh, I I think you would be getting really flexible... In saying that it's used equally as as effectively, I think you could go that far, but I don't know if you could say better because in Last Jedi it's used much more to build character, whereas yes. in here in Rise of Skywalker, the lightsaber fights are cool, the uh, the setup for the saber transferring like. We're going to get to that later, but the saber transfer is one of the best moments in Star Wars, yeah. full stop. No, it's... Those things are... But in terms of character development, in terms of Kylo having to face that he doesn't understand things the way that he thought he did, in terms of Rey having to confront her own identity and isolationism, in terms of even presenting Luke's uh, end of his story... Yeah. You do it much more effectively in, a, in terms of storytelling... In the Last Jedi, in terms of whoa, that's badass. You definitely do it better in Rise of Skywalker. No, I disagree. I think it's a great plot device in the Rise of Skywalker, sure, but the characters are developed at this point. Let's do away with character development because they've each kind of hit their endpoint now. Whoa! It's still whoa. What it, wait, wait, wait. Let me let me finish. Let me finish. Linda, listen. Linda, in their Linda, in in their relationship with with each other between Ray and Kylo Ren, not so much Ray and Ben, but Ray and Kylo Ren have hit their endpoint in their relationship, and they have decided we are adversaries. We don't need that developed any further. What it does, though, at this point is represent the light side and the dark side of the Force because now when they Force Skype, they can intermingle. It's not like the other eight movies where they were saying, here's one end of the spectrum, here is the other, pick your side. You can't dip your toe in either on either side of that line. They're saying you are one or you are the other. There is a clear dichotomy. 
In the Rise of Skywalker for Skypes, though, now they're able to pass things back and forth. Now they are able to understand where the other one is. They get some kind of backgrounds with each other. They're saying this is a way of showing us that the Force, you can kind of mix these two. You can have some light and some dark. Here's the issue is you said we get to this point in the story and they don't need development anymore, but yet you are developing the characters more. You have two and a half hours of developing the characters more. You're presenting Rey as a darker character. You're bringing Kylo Ren back to Ben Solo. You are developing their character. You just are but not you don't doing need it Force to- Skype to do it. You don't need the right. other one to do it. At this point, Rey is not developing herself anymore because of what she's learning from Kylo Ren and vice versa. You just They're doing the, it you, other ways. They don't need... I'm but, saying, but I'm you saying just you made, don't need... You just made the argument that we don't... That it's done better in Last Jedi because you said it's not done for character development, which is what a story does. It develops characters to get you to learn a lesson. So if it's but not being used for that, what's it being used be, for? I just said plot device and to symbolize something else. I love in The Rise of Skywalker that now Force Skype can symbolize the Force and be used as a plot device as opposed to character development. I, that, I feel like that's an, a, a very generous reading of how that connection is used between the characters that the filmmakers may not intend. I, I think they use it much more utilitarian than that. It's simply to physically transfer items back and forth in order to keep things moving in the story. I don't think that the there's a lot of support for that inside the film, that it represents the two sides of the Force coming to... I mean, if Star Wars has taught us anything, it's that the dark side is poison. It is cancer, it, and it infects everything that it touches, and it cannot mix with the light side. So I'll back it up then. Very first Force Skype that we have in Rise of Skywalker is when Rey is on Pasana, Kylo is in a starship, right? This uh, is also is the it? very first... When, on the, when she's running through the training course and she he reaches out to her. I didn't really see that as Force Skype so much as her just sensing it. Because she has visions, but they don't interact. No, but, but she mentions the vision of the Sith throne, which we do see... In those flashes. Yeah, so I think that's more of a vision than it is for Skype. Mm, okay. So, so we'll, we'll look we'll at put the that one where on the she's, on, <laughs> she's on Pasana. We, at this point, don't know. We in the story do not know for sure that she is a Palpatine and she has come from darkness. But this is the first time ever where once they have this connection, visually their backgrounds change and Ray is sitting there in white. And for the first time, everything around her goes dark, despite the fact that she is outside in a desert for the first time, everything around her goes dark. Whereas Kylo Ren standing there in the blackness he's chosen is surrounded by light. And I think Mm -hmm. the fact that for the first time Ray's backdrop changes that's what makes this symbolic and that's what makes this connection more than just something on a page for for them to pass objects back and forth. I do like those moments on Pasana where it, it, it does shift visually and suddenly the canisters of gas now shoot flames instead and, and it's it's transferred to night instead of day and 
That is is visually very interesting. I'm not entirely sure about the implications thereof. I, f- but I like your, I like what you're trying to give it in in terms of of juxtaposing the characters' natural tendencies against their backgrounds and whatnot. I think that's pre- that is cool to see. I and, don't know that I'm willing to grant you as much as you're asking. To. Yeah, I mean that's kind of where I'm at. Like, like. I really like how they use it. I think it's used really effectively. I think for what they were trying to get to at the end with them being able to to look at each other across the stars, if you will, um, and pass the oh, saber. Stop. <laughs> I, uh, I I think it was done really really well. Um, but I just I'm lining those moments up against like when when the in Last Jedi where Kylo Ren feels the rain on his face. Um, through yeah. the connection and like the subtlety of those moments and the simplicity of like, and we know what the rain means to, to Ray and kind of the wonder that she expresses and, and kind of how she kind of relishes in, you know, holding her hand out and really kind of soaking it up, soaking it up and, and what that means between the two characters. When I compare that to what happens in Rise of Skywalker, though, I feel like the passing of items back and forth, you have kind of two, three examples where, one, he he grabs her necklace that she's mm-hmm. given. The necklace doesn't have a whole lot of meaning for her. I, I don't think it has as much connection as the rain does. The Vader's Is it Vader's mask that falls off its pedestal and really clues Kylo Ren into yeah. her location? Yeah, yeah. That doesn't have any meaning for her. It has way more meaning for him. I don't know that she would understand what it means, though. And then the last one is the lightsaber, which kind of doesn't play by any rules, really. Like, that one doesn't make any sense, but it's still really awesome. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't want know. to say too much because my kind of number... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to kind of tie into my number one in a little bit. Okay, that's fair. That's a, I think that's a good point to... Uh, Put a pin in it and yeah. Drew, mm, that's take tough. It. What's what's your number three? Okay, mine are a little bit more broad because I, I I do normally I like to try and dig and find like that one particular moment or one you know shot or camera angle or item or something that really kind of encapsulates the way things feel. But I, I I struggle with this film from beginning to end, and so I have to have broad moments in order to catch as much good as I can. So here's kind of what I'm, I'm using for my example number three. I really like the sequence of this film when they start heading into um, Kylo Star Destroyer. Uh, from the moment they, and that kind of includes like uh, when they're leaving Kajimi all the way up into the part where they, they Ray jumps into the Falcon and they take off for the Death Star wreckage. That sequence I think is a lot of fun. I think it has a lot of some of the best Star Wars-y moments of you know the running and gunning down the hallway, Ray mind tricks the stormtroopers, and then one of them, one of the guys asks, "Does she do that to us?" Which I think is really kind of clever, um, you know, ev- evaluating the scene that the characters are actually seeing for the first time. Like, wait a minute, something weird is, is standing out to me about this. Uh, I like the two of them back and forth uh, between Kylo Ren and Ray, as one of them's on the planet, one of them's on the ship, and the back and forth. Um, I really enjoyed Hux's betrayal and his untimely demise, I thought was a lot of fun. And then lastly, the visual that stands out out of the whole sequence of events, and the one that really sticks with me, is when 
they're in the docking bay and Ray turns away from Kylo Ren to watch the Falcon rise up into the, the, the magnetic field there. Just visually is astonishing to see her, her silhouetted um, frame against this massive ship just kind of rising up very gently and rotating the light. It, you know, the blue light as it scatters the stormtroopers across the deck is a lot of fun to watch. And I think if this film does one thing right, there are fun moments. And just about every moment on that Star Destroyer is a lot of fun for me. Well, and that moment that you were talking about with the Falcon rising up, it's right when Kylo so says, good. you know what you have to do. And she waits she for her friends. She the thrum of the engine, yeah. And, and turns and jumps like, oh, to her friends. Yeah, like it's, it's a good metaphor for what's coming later in the film. You know? Yeah, it's a nice it's a nice counterpoint to you know where he says I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. And 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 the ghost of his father is like, yeah, you do have the strength to do it. It's you got it. And now. and if you think about like the uh, the, the lighting that's there, that moment with Ray, she's lit up in blue. Like if you had, there's that one. F- one or two frames where you have just her face with the blue light on it that if you took it and put it in Exegol would fit perfectly. Like, so I think it's a really good, like, this is something important that you need to pay attention to is that when, when Ray needs her friends, they are there for her so that at the end, when her friends need her, she is there for her, for them is an important Mm. idea in the film. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that moment. Yeah. Uh, for me, my number no, three... No, wait, 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 wait. Oh. Lindsay's supposed to say she hates that moment and argue about it. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's the worst. You're wrong. <laughs> yes. Stupid. There she is. God. <laughs> now, wait how, a minute. I don't think we ever How dare you names. enjoy these... Yeah, and now, how dare you enjoy these lighthearted moments on a Star Destroyer? <laughs> I'm sorry it didn't have enough Anakin Skywalker for Well, you. I was just going to say, if we, if we had Anakin Skywalker hang off the Falcon and grab Rey and swing her in like... Let it go. Um, all right, all right. So come on, Elsa. <laughs> so here's my number three is like a really good example of how split I am on this movie, um, on very many levels. Because I swear, if you say the Jedi voices at the end of this it, film, I'm he's gonna no, say it. No, no, no. I do Luminari, isn't it? I, it it's Luminara <laughs> and Dooley. Yeah, I just thought, I thought it was great. Um, but no, it's. It's the the idea of the dyad and the theme of two becoming one, uh, I think, is a very Star Wars theme and I think is something that is present throughout and is a piece of connective tissue that is really important. Because when we have the prequels, you have pairs breaking apart. You have the uh, Qui-Gon and Anakin breaking apart, that Jedi father-son relationship breaking apart, Qui-Gon and and Obi-Wan breaking apart, Anakin and Padme, Anakin and Obi-Wan, the Republic and the Jedi. So the idea of uniting them all in the end is something that I really like. And Palpatine trying to become one with Rey is like a really terrifying uh, antithesis of what we get with uh, Ben and Rey uniting at the end. And I've said it before. I have nothing that's changed my mind so far. I I think that Ben is actually like I think his consciousness, his spirit is alive in her, and that's my headcanon oh. until otherwise. But just in how the dyad is used, uh, in the idea of duality, which is a very Campbellian thing that I think Lucas uh, really clung to with the fathers and sons and light and dark, and uh, 
even even things like organic and droid, like duality is everywhere in our lives, but it's especially everywhere in Star Wars. Things are in pairs. Um, and so finishing the story with the main theme, in my opinion, being about pairs and duality, I think is something that's, it's done effectively, it's handled well, uh, it's a good piece of connective tissue that I really enjoy. I like it too, not even just on its own and in these movies. One of the pieces of the dyad that I love is, I think it might be in the book a little bit more, but it's definitely in the visual dictionary. There's mentions about how this was the original rule of two, but it just yeah, got yeah, yeah. misinterpreted. So I love that what? it really? seems like, yeah, yeah. Oh, and it, it seems I like they're going to use that. this to go back and look at some of the kind of Sith origins in future uh. stories. I See, I like that. I like Darth Bane is the, those three books are three of my favorite EU books. I, and to be able to take it even further back so you don't have to retcon anything. You know, Darth, the rule of two wasn't Darth Bane's original idea. But to go back and say, oh, this is what it actually meant. And by the time you get to Bane, this is how it was misinterpreted. And Palpatine mentions that the dyad hasn't been around for generations. So I think it would make a lot of sense if you have it the first dyad maybe being... Um, a diet of light and dark that gets twisted into the rule of two over time, yeah. you know, and then we see some, and there's better storytellers to come up with a better idea than me, but you somehow have that idea seep into the Jedi so that the master and apprentice idea that we get in the, with the Jedi and the Republic and the Jedi and all of that stuff that kind of messes with things in the prequels is something that actually comes from Sith history. You know, um, I think that would be a really cool way to be like, here's how things got really, really messed up is because these Sith ideas started to infect the 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 Jedi. Right. So like to put a little context to it, like. Except for like in Revelations, the Bible doesn't say a lot about hell. Most of the ideas of hell that we have come from Dante's Inferno. They come from this outside text. Um so just that kind of idea of like it brings context to when you're reading about those things in the Bible um, or studying those things or even the history of those things, you know, looking at it and, and paying understanding that the the ideas of it come from something outside of it, but also fit with it. It's a weird it's a weird kind of balance that you have to strike. But I think it would make a lot of sense for just the the push pull tension that you have between the Jedi and the Sith. Yeah. No, I'm a fan. Cool. I like it. Cool. Yeah. All right, Drew, what do you got for us? Are we on number two? Is that right? We are on number two. All right. I, I think and the I'll correct answer somewhere. is Anakin Skywalker. That's uh, ironically not at all what I was going to say. Um, oh. <laughs> I. Ochi really... of the Stoon. I don't want to talk about daggers anymore. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have like a twitch develop every time I think about it now. Um, I think that I enjoyed more this time the little hints and drips that the film gives gives us about Poe's force sensitivity. And I think that 
you wait, can wait, wait, wait. Pose or fins? Oh, I'm sorry, fin. I worked the okay. Uh, see, I, I was about to. I mean, I was about bad. to think you had like a Lindsay level da, 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 read on da, this. So I was no, ready. No, no. <laughs> just say I haven't slept in about eight months. Uh, <laughs> brain activity going on over here. Um, Finn's confidence rises in this film compared to the other ones. Like he's never been more sure of himself or the things that he does. And I think that it is used in a way which describes just how he is connected to the force. Like his force sensitivity has given him that confidence to make decisions or to support people that he hasn't supported before to really buy into things. And I try to compare it to his character coming out of the last Jedi who was, um, you know, Finn struggles. Yeah, I almost called it Poe again. Finn really struggles with how to fight the good fight. You know, he struggles with should he save Rey and should he try and convince her to run away from all from it all? Uh, should he be willing to give up his life in order to stop the fight right now, or does it really take leadership and does he have a, a role in that so that he can? inspire others to take up the cause as well and i think he only really comes down on that last bit in this movie and i think that the movie wants us to understand it's because he has accepted his force sensitivity and he can start to understand it through leia's tutelage that it has infected and improved the rest of his character you know he he starts out by calling it a feeling he, he starts with, hey, I wanted to tell you this. He's being open. He's being transparent. Well, okay, he's trying to be open and transparent. He doesn't really get super successful at it. But it's a journey. It's a progress for him. And I, and I kind of I came to respect it this time more than the other time. So really, I don't think that I see for, Finn's force sensitivity as a problem anymore. I don't see it as a weakness. And it may not be explicit in the film, but I think the film does a pretty clear job of trying to communicate it and, and make you draw the connections and say, oh, yeah, he's definitely Force-sensitive here. Yeah. I, I actually really like, too, that they don't just come right out and say it. Yeah. Because I, I like that Finn kind of knows, like, this can wait. This isn't the most pressing issue right now. Let's finish what we're doing. You know, I think it's something that hadn't really been handled well until actually like the Harry Potter books, you know, when Ron and Hermione finally get together and Harry's there like, guys, we got a whole war going on. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's finish this first. And I think if, if Finn had come right out and said it, I would have kind of been Harry Potter yeah. in that scenario. It would have been very like, awkward for him. Yeah. To, in, in the yeah. It's like, where what, they drop what do you want the, us to do sand? about it now? <laughs> Yeah, when they drop yeah. through like the black quicksand into the the snake pit, and, and, and imagine just imagine a scene where he had said, "Oh, I meant to tell, I meant to tell you that I can use the force too," and then yeah. and then <laughs> transition to what? I don't really know because it just gets weird from that point, like because it opens up a little bit of a problem for who's supposed to be in charge, and like, mm -hmm. oh, I thought Ray was special; she can use the force now. Now, that's not necessarily true anymore. Well, not that she can't use it, but she was exclusively the one who was going to be doing it. Well, I, it's, it starts to become more important than the rest of the story. So I like that. I can't believe I'm saying this. They actually showed a little bit of restraint in this, in this area and allowed mm -hmm. it to just kind of simmer underneath the surface instead of being big, bold, and colorful like you know so much more of this film does. Counterpoint to that. I... I 
I like what they Go ahead. do. Don't well, be afraid. No, hold on. Hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> figuring out words to, to kind of put it because this is something that has evolved for me as I've watched the film more. Because when I when I first watched the film, I completely didn't like the idea of Finn being force sensitive um, because it felt to me like they were replacing Ray with Finn because Ray was no longer the everyman that she was set up to be in the first two films because now she was magically a Palpatine. Okay. Oh, interesting. So, so that, that's something that is, is always kind of simmering underneath the surface for me. Um, but if we just look at what we have with Finn, I think what they are achieving with him in the movie is super important. I feel like his arc over the three uh, movies is, is handled really well. I feel like he's really the only character that J.J. understood on a very deep personal level. So I really like what they do with Finn here. What I don't like is, number one, that it's a joke because this is something that's we're supposed to value for sensitivity as something important, but you made it a joke with a oh, I forgot to tell you, or oh, I'm just, that I'm, I'm not a big fan of. I do, though. however, I like what you guys are saying about it's not the right time for it now. That I'm cool with. I, I like that idea. That's, that's a hurricane in Rebels, we can't do this right now kind of thing. I like yeah. that. But I think you the story would have been more effective if you didn't outright allude to Finn being a Force-sensitive in the traditional sense that we understand it. I think if you had had him talk about a feeling and we're like well maybe you know and we never had the kind of clue that he was force sensitive before that you kind of wondering and then at the end when you have ray die and finn feels it instead of it just being a moment where you're like yep that kind of decides it right uh finn's force sensitive you kind of have this idea of sometimes a connection a relationship is so strong that even somebody who is not force sensitive as we understand as as we define it feels it in a very real way and i think that that would have been something that really added a lot of value to finn and ray's relationship which i think is probably the singular best thing about the the trilogy overall so I would have made tweaks to it, but in terms of where you get Finn and in terms of the story that you tell with him, yeah, I, I it's 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 good. I like it. Yeah, I, I'm not sure so much about the whole like when you're describing how he can sense when she dies. I mean, there's precedence of Force users not being able to sense the death of somebody who is not attuned to the Force. I mean, as recently as the Last Jedi, where Luke does not know that Han has died. So I think you need. I think that is a. It's it's a telegraph moment where the, the film wants you to understand. Oh yeah, we're confirming your earlier suspicions because just like you had said, he does describe it as a feeling, and he confirms but it for Jana when she says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back to." Wait, no, because I'm go- I I want to get back to that, but when I make my my final top thing that I like about this. Okay, hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw one quick thing in here about Luke and Han. Luke doesn't since Han dying yeah. because he's cut himself off. He was off closed off, yeah. yeah. Whereas Finn, I think his story, and, and he alludes to this with Janna, is not believing in the Force to accepting that it's a part of him, which I like. I really, really like that. But I think if you don't give the setup and you just have that end moment, it's 
a a moment of the force and the connection that they have is so so powerful it doesn't matter if he's force sensitive in the way that luke was or anakin was or luminara and Dooley was <laughs> it's it's the relationship the duality between finn and ray is so powerful that the force grants you know this connection this this some kind of moment you might yeah. call it sensitivity to whatever <laughs> Lindsay, what were you gonna say I think she's saving for, you for number one. Yeah, I'm, I'm oh, okay. going to save for part of my number one. Okay, cool. Then I'm going to go on to my number two. And this yep. is one where I, uh, I kind of took the same approach to Drew. Uh, it's just something broad, but it's Exegol. I really like Exegol, like a lot. Like, I watched the movie just to get to Exegol. Um, I think it's fascinating. I hope we get more of it. I would really like some kind of... Um, Sith-like cross-publishing idea like High Republic. Um, obviously, it wouldn't happen at the same time, but something like that uh, about how the Sith founded, cool what the yeah. crowd is all about, how do we, why uh, do we have these cultists? Yeah. Just more about that. I find it... Re- visually, I think it's absolutely stunning. Um, I, I like how it's utilized in the story. I, I texted you guys this before, but I think, honestly... Rise of Skywalker might be my favorite start to a Star Wars movie. Um, to me, it's mm-hmm. up there right with A New Hope. It's up there right with uh, Revenge of the Sith. Just the start on Mustafar writing to Exegol, um, the emotion that it creates for you, I really like it. I, I Again, I wish we had more of it. Um, I, I wish we had some more context to the crowd, the followers, um, what kind of dark side work they're doing, that kind of thing. But, you know, you, you can only do so much in film, which is why I would like some more uh, content around it. But just everything about Exegol, I think, works, I think is extremely fascinating. Um, I don't. Did you guys see the, the images of uh, what Exegol would have appeared like if they had kept the original color scheme which was mm. going to be kind of a mustafarian red Ooh, and orange no. no it is not as creepy it just it really <laughs> it's not like it, it doesn't actually the I same emotion that, i believe that because when you're on mustafar it feels intense yeah. maybe scary but yeah i don't i don't associate red or orange with creepy exegol feels like something unexpected is about to kill you which i think is kind of the idea what they're going for yeah yeah so um and i mean again you know with star wars and being a silent film idea that george was very adamant about um i think exegol you can watch I, i mean i've watched it twice since we've been talking the whole uh arc of exegol on silent and you just completely get exactly the message that you're supposed to get uh with the the only like thing i'm i i roll at is the palpatine force lightning the entire resistance but not any of the other ships what that, that i i roll with but other than oh. that like pretty much everything that they do on exegol i'm a big big fan of so it's just hmm. fun nice i'm glad you have fun uh, every now and then, oh. hate fun. Right. It's the it's we not. I mean, home. I don't. I don't like it, but I do it. Yeah, go. Ahead. <laughs> All right, I'm going to also just say my number two real quick since I was skipped over. Um, what? But it's, what? it's no. literally just yeah. Oh my bad. I forgive you. Um, nice job, it is, it's it's Bad nice host. and easy. There's there's nothing crazy to say about it. I just love the relationship between 
Poe, Finn, and Ray. I think it's fun. I think it works well. I really do enjoy that. But my number one is... If you say that dagger... It's um, not the dagger. You. It's actually a collection of things, all right? So... There's this, She's just gonna list off all the this, other things she likes yeah. about the movie. <laughs> Let me go scene by scene. No, there's you know we we talk <laughs> a lot already scene. about <laughs> all these other elements of film that are worked really well into this movie. You know, Brandon, you talk about how you should be able to put a movie on mute and still understand what's happening. That's a really important part of screenwriting. We talk about how uh, 3PO hung the lantern when he said R2-D2 um, could could not back up his memory. That's another element of screenwriting. We talk about show, don't tell. We talk about all these elements. But for me, one of the most important things you can or can't do in screenwriting is plant and pay. All right? So think about Jaws. When they're on the boat initially and someone's firing off a gun, you have someone saying, you can't shoot those canisters, they're going to explode. How do they later kill the shark? He has a canister in his mouth, they shoot it, it explodes. That's a beautiful example of plant and pay. A movie that doesn't have it, and it infuriates me because I love the movie up until this part, is Tangled. Spoiler alert for Tangled, when the prince dies, all of, or I'm sorry, when Eugene or Flynn dies, all of a sudden you have Rapunzel just cry on him and he's brought back to life. At no <laughs> part in Tangled okay, look, do, they, look, do look. they show that. Lindsay, I, I, I'm fine with, with giving you Wouldn't Anakin Skywalker, but don't you dare try to take Tangled from me. I, I always make this con- because when my sister got her wisdom teeth removed, she made me watch Tangled like eight times in a row. <laughs> So I said this every time, and now she's like, you shut up. You just let me have this. But, but like, that's, that's an example of how infuriating it can be when you have a good movie who just throws something out there and expects you to believe it. This movie, time and time again, gives us these plants that are later paid off in a huge way. But the difference here is even if they weren't to pay off later they're still good on their own, all right? So we have, even just starting off with Ray, be with me. The The scene in the beginning when she is there meditating and she's struggling with it, that pays off later in a massive, massive way. If it didn't, that's still a good scene. I like seeing her Jedi training. I like seeing her trying to connect to the the ghost of Christmas past. I like seeing her fail and struggle with it. <laughs> like that's, that's also a good scene, but it has this great payoff, right? Then we have the serpent scene where she's there and mm-hmm. she is trying to heal this thing. That would have been fine on its own. I would have liked to see Ray with that serpent doing the right thing and showing us this new force power It just so happens to pay off twice later on when she saves Ben. And then later, Ben's able to say, oh, this can work. This is something that I can do through the force. It has two huge payoffs, but both of those scenes work totally fine on their own. We have the force Skype when she's on Pasana and they take the necklace. 
that works fine on its own. So does when she's on the Star Destroyer and he's on Kajimi and the be- the beads or the fruit or whatever are on the floor of the Star Destroyer and the helmets on Kajimi. That works fine. But then later, we're able to pass an entire lightsaber and finish this battle. That's a massive payoff. Even things like Finn's Force sensitivity. I don't think, Brandon, it would have been okay to not make mentions of it and then all of a sudden have him feel the connection to Rey when she dies because you would have had so many fanboys just saying, well, how'd he do this? That's, you know, it it would have felt cheap. It wouldn't have felt earned. Instead, we have these tiny plants throughout the movie, so this is a big payoff, and this is a big reward for us paying attention to the fact that he's force sensitive, even things like Poe's past, where after talking to Adriana a few times about it, I'm not sure I necessarily like Poe's past, but I like the way they set it up. I like that several times Finn is there saying like, how do you know how to do this? Where'd you learn this? What you know, what, <laughs> what kind of shady stuff were you doing and not telling us? And then it's paid off as opposed to, hey, Poe is just this respectable pilot. He can fly ships and that's it. By the way, he was also a drug dealer. No, we have these fun little (laughs) plants along the way. And I just think that every time something is planted in this, it's then rewarded, but it doesn't have to be. It's all things that would work fine on their own. And then you just get the added bonus later on. Hmm. I think chief among those is the the idea of the life transfer. Like, I think that's one yeah. thing that they very clearly had in mind throughout the whole film. Because um, you even see it with BB-8 and Dio, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. You have Ray mentioned to BB-8, I just transferred some life force, which yeah, you would, would have been same. fine on its own, but you would do the same, and then he does, does it. So, uh, I don't love it as much as you do, obviously, because it's not my number one, but I definitely think, yeah, it, it's... It's done, the foreshadowing is done well. Um, I think that's maybe one thing that J.J. took from Ryan Johnson and actually used well. Uh, If you watch The Last Jedi, it's full of foreshadowing, but it's very, very subtle. Uh, And J.J. does it here, and he just does it very overtly, which I'm fine with. I think he does it effectively uh, for the most part. Um, Mm. Some might say he does it too much. (laughs) That that would be definitely an argument. Yeah, I I think it's... uh, it's okay to have some of those things just be little tidbits of, of character development and things that we don't, I don't necessarily have to have everything connected to something later on in the film. I I think that that makes it too easy for me to watch a film. And now suddenly I'm not invested in the story. I'm like, okay, that's going to show up in approximately 45 minutes. So now I know what's coming. And then, then suddenly I'm taking, taken out of the excitement of the film. It's kind of like if in a new hope when, uh, Obi-Wan says, you know, oh, I fought in the Clone Wars. And, and they talked about the Clone Wars then. And then suddenly that was the key to destroying the Death Star at the end or something like that. It would have been ridiculous. Uh, but I'm but glad I- Lindsay enjoys it. <laughs> Loves it. Loves it. <laughs> she I- mildly appreciates it. I think <laughs> they they definitely had the idea with like the life transfer, and then they maybe got a little too excited about it, and we're like, oh, what if we did <laughs> yeah, this with all the other stuff? I like, feel oh. about it. Uh, I don't like, know. I just well, I think the, I think the the bigger it is, the more you have to lay the foundation. But 
I mean, the way... That's hard. There's such a hard balance between those two things because in The Last Jedi, when, when Leia pulls herself back into the Star Cruiser, we have like no indication uh, before that. But yeah. I love that scene and it's not uh, used again later on. So it's really tough. I, I would say, well, one, the Leia scene is used later on because she flies through the Star Destroyer hologram and then later... Yeah, but that's not the on. point of the scene. Anyways... Fair, fair uh, enough. To me, so in Rise of Skywalker, hate I hate that argument. By the way, oh, she flies through the thing, and that's where Holdo gets the idea. No, stop. No, just I didn't say Holdo gets doing. the idea. I just thought it was. A, I just think it was something Ryan was like, wink, wink, elbow, elbow. But but that's the difference between foreshadow and plant and pay. That was a foreshadow. Plant and pay is something that you need to lay the foundation so it makes sense later on. See, Foreshadowing is just the literary device of. This is going to connect, and you'll get this when you get it. Mm, yeah, okay. and I, I mean... I, I appreciate that delineation. Thank you. Uh, that, yeah. that, that certainly does help. Yeah. Yeah, it, there, there is definitely a difference in how it's used. There are points, I think, when it feels like JJ and Terrio are like the, the kid that figured out how to use a really cool word... And so then they try to use it in everything that they write or say. But sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Like, I did that with the word tremendous for a while. And I would be like, I, I hate this so tremendously. And you're like, what? That doesn't make sense. But I feel tremendous this morning, guys. Yes, exactly. And it's like, okay, Great well. analogy. We get, the, we get the point, but maybe you were a little too heavy-handed with that. So, all right. Uh, since I c- apparently don't wow. know uh, what order we're going in, I think, Drew, that means you're up next. Is that right? Uh, boy, I, I guess so. Um, you have to. My, it's my, in the rules. Sorry. My, my initial inclination for my favorite part of this film was just that it ends at a certain point. And that's good. Um, You're like geez. that meme. What's your favorite part? The, the credits. Yeah, the credits. Just standing up and walking away from it, being able to turn it off. No, it, it's not that bad. It's not Attack of the Clones. Hey, um, you shut your mouth. <laughs> it's a bad film, guys. I... I really like um, Ray and Ben at the end of this film. I like the sacrifice that Ben makes. I like his his death. I like that it's just he's done. That's the end of his character. It's the end of the boy. Um, I don't think he lives on in any kind of weird, creepy, really uncool way that Brandon has concocted inside his brain. Um, I that sacrifice there is the one that counts, and and it's like the saving grace like the one possible way in which the rest of the, ex- the the failures of the film to commit to the consequences of their actions is redeemed to say, this is the one that matters. Um, I know a lot of people were upset in, uh, at the end of the film that the two of them don't get to ride off into the sunset together. And that's, you know, kind of uh, star Wars tradition should be riding off into the sunset together where all the good guys win and, and they all get to live happily ever after. And I kind of like that this doesn't allow for that. There's pain in it. There's a tragedy to the story, and I think that's fair. I think that's good. Um, I, I I think it 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 kind of strengthens their. I don't know if it strengthens their relationship, but it makes it something more real to me. It's the fact that they don't get to grow old together. They don't get to have, start their own family. You know, they don't all get what they want, but they still got what they needed. You know, he came back to the light is what he needed to do. Ben needed to come and turn from the darkness and rejoin. The, the truth of his family tradition, which is to serve the light side of the force. 
he makes that transition successfully. Ray finds her family. And the remarkable thing about the found family, the aspect there is that none of them are, are left alive at the end of that story. And yet she is still smack dab in the middle of it. She is part of the team. She's part of the family. And she will continue to brandish that name for the rest of her life. And I think there's some beauty in that. I think that to give it a more and a more satisfactory, more sugary ending where everybody gets what they want makes the rest of the sacrifices feel cheap. It's the problem I have with the rest of the film is where if it doesn't cost you anything, it's not worth anything. And Ray's ending is earned. It is valuable. It is important for her to get that, that sense of satisfaction, not necessarily being surrounded by everyone that she loves, but to know that she has their support and she has that family, even if she can't see them around her, she knows she has a place to belong and it was bought for and paid in blood. And that is important and it's, it's valuable. And, and, I I think it's a brave decision to make that the end of the entire saga, to make her the one who carries on the name, to know that the, the if you follow the bloodline, that's it. It's done. It's gone. It was brief, but it changed the course of the galaxy. I really like that. I mean, that leads right into my number one, which is Ben Solo. So we're kind of on Dun-dun. one accord there. Um, because I, like... You guys remember when we were going into the film, I or going into the trilogy, I said, just don't ruin the end of Return of the Jedi. Don't make it not matter. Right. And right. I, I, so Ben's redemption was my one non-negotiable. Um, I, I admit I went into this this movie with expectations that kind of tempered it uh, a little bit. Um, but in terms of like full stop, I would hate this movie is if Ben was not redeemed. So uh, getting that you know, I, I think is something that's really effective. I think the idea that you have in the trilogy of like, how do we take these lessons from the generation before and learn from them and become better? Um, you know, Ben gives his life willingly, whereas Vader, he gave his life, you know, and it cost him, but he was dying. You know, he was, he, he was on the verge of death and then he gave it. Ben was, was going to be able to live on and, I really like what Ray Carson did in the novel um, where she points out that like Ray saving him on the second Death Star was an act of compassion that he had never uh, allowed himself to see before, um, which I, I think when you get to that end point and you see that compassion that he gives, you go all the way back to, and I wrote an article on this, Anakin with the, you know, a Jedi is encouraged to love. Uh, compassion is the way of the Jedi. So... I'm a really big fan of that. Uh, I'm a really big fan of uh, the the Han moment um, and and kind of that Campbellian idea of having to you know deal with your sins and face the Father and all of that stuff. And I, I mean, here's the thing: I went in and, and Drew. I I feel like and correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like you kind of went in with this idea also, but like that Ben dying was inevitable, right? Like, weren't you kind yeah, of? Yeah, I was yeah. definitely in the camp. He was not going to survive this film. Yeah. So so then I, I think I think that's something, you know, thinking about the fandom at large that kind of uh, created issues for people is people went in expecting him to live um, and that being their one thing that they were clinging to that was going right, to be different right. from Return of the Jedi is that he gets to live. Um, but, you know, well, if you are bringing a conclusion to it, I think I think having him give his life to somebody who will then take up the name of his family, you know, even though he's Ben Solo, but it's the name of his family um, Mm. and continue that on in a way that I'm, 
I'm still hoping we see some version of other people, you know, later taking up the Skywalker name. Maybe that's uh, becomes like a title, like some people were thinking it might become, um, you know, uh, when Rise of Skywalker, the title came out, you know, kind of like the Pope. Because, you know? of, because why, Brandon? Where did we learn that Skywalker meant force user? Uh, I I don't, know. I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's because it was Thrawn. No? It was yeah. It was, it was the Chiss ascendancy. Oh, it was not Thrawn. Come um, on. But but you know maybe you know how the Pope takes on a new name when he takes the position. You know you could yeah. kind of have that with the Grandmaster. So anyways, um, and I mean, just overall like favorite moments in Star Wars. The lightsaber pass into the shrug of. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gives me life. I, I could <laughs> oh, literally. Oh God! I you have sit, to cheer every time you watch it. I could sit and watch that gif all day. I'm not exaggerating. I am not being hyperbolic. Um, and I think <laughs> you bring in an actor the caliber of Adam Driver for moments like that. Uh, yeah. Moments where you need to understand the entire character in a matter of seconds. You need to know exactly where his head's at, where his heart's at, everything. You need to know everything about that character in a matter of seconds. Through physicality. Exactly. Right. You get yeah. that. You get that in uh, in his mask acting when he's talking to Vader's helmet in uh, uh, the Force Awakens. Force Awakens. You, you get it with Drew the moment you brought up earlier about him noticing the water on his face in Last Jedi. Oh, and so Love that part. You bring Adam Driver in for moments like that. You bring Adam Driver in for moments to put him next to Harrison Ford and not have it just be like, oh, look, Han Solo is on the screen because it's yeah. so easy for that to happen. Um, and it happens sometimes in Force Awakens where you're like, all right, there's somebody on the screen with Harrison Ford, Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> but... But every time he's on with him, there's there's a weight to it. So I think, you know, we've talked about the issues with the storytelling and kind of some things that maybe didn't work so well in terms of how they approach the story, both in the in this movie and the trilogy overall. But I think one thing they did have clearly in mind is what they were doing with Kylo Ren, Ben Solo. And I think J.J. Ontario figured out how to put it together, honestly, perfectly for the ending um, that that I I enjoy and I appreciate and I understand some of the people who it, who don't. But is it not weird? Do you, I, do you think it's weird that he doesn't have any like real scripted dialogue after you know his encounter with Han Solo at the Death Star? Like I think I would says, not have Ow. ever thought about it if it hadn't been mentioned on Twitter and if there hadn't been the thing going on uh, where you can kind of see Ray's mouth move um in one of the scenes you can kind of see her jawline move like she was talking and they took it out oh think, really yeah i think if i didn't know yeah. that stuff then i would be able to look at it and go like yeah it doesn't bother me it, yeah. it doesn't bother it's, me it's I don't, kind of like thin with the whole force sensitivity yeah. thing it's like what what would you have him stop to say that wouldn't yeah take away from the like there's there's other stuff true to do. true yeah, it's it's like so. it's like having the I know moment, you know, um, yeah. with, with with Han. You don't need him to say it to know what's going on. And I think, like I said, you need to be able to tell everything that's going on with Ben, with Kylo, without the words, without the. Um, what are you gonna? Yeah, what are you gonna say there? Like, and I honestly don't I think I would have know. ever noticed it if Twitter was not a thing. I literally yeah. don't think I would have ever <laughs> thought about it. So that's it, guys. We did it. We survived it. Oops. 
proud of us. Let's get a head count. Everybody's still on the bus. I don't need to watch Here. this movie again for a long time, do I? I'm going to watch it tonight. Gun to your head. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker, Attack of the Clones. Go. Say it again. What? Gun to your head. Rise of Skywalker, Attack of the Clones. Which are you watching? Rise of Skywalker. Damn. I have Guys, expected you to just be like, bullet in the brain. I've lived a good life. You know, this is, it's been it's been fun, guys. How about how about this? I'll make you a deal. How, if we get uh, how many new Patreon subscribers do we need to get in order for you and I, Brandon, to record an Attack of the Clones commentary? If we can get, let's see. Hold on. Let me let me do a quick check of where we're at on Patreon As of recording, right now. Where where are we? Because As of recording, I, I am absolutely willing to sell myself for this. But that is wait. The can only I reason. can I join for no reason other than to stir the pot? Like I promise, I won't say anything, <laughs> even trying to be insightful. I'm how just going to stir the pot as often as I can. How about well, Brandon and I will record a commentary, and then you can record a commentary on top of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. You're like, it's it's never going to be released, but you can do it. <laughs> okay, yeah, we are at... In- inception all the way down. <laughs> we are at $35 right now for Patreon. So if we can get to $50 a 50 month for, pa- for Patreon, we will release a uh, Drew and Brandon, and maybe even Adriana, because no, I, I need no. her backup. She would be hysterical. Uh, hang, on, hang on, I didn't agree to that. <laughs> <laughs> That's we had enough okay. words at Force Awakens, and, and, and she still <laughs> tried to like, like, oh no, Attack of the Clones is my favorite movie. I was like, oh no, poor child. <laughs> All right, so fifty dollars on Patreon. That's what we need to get Drew to watch. Once Attack of we the get up again. to fifty, then Brandon and I will record the Patreon, and then oh, we'll, we'll release it shortly there. I am ready. I am going to start taking notes. Um. <laughs> All right, so yeah, if you wanna if you wanna uh, check out our Patreon, it's uh, Clashing Sabers uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash Clashing Sabers, uh, and like I said, we've got some levels there already, uh, and we will be adding more as uh, we come out with new content. And uh, honestly, we want to make Patreon a place where we make things that I mean, we want to make everywhere a place where we make things that you guys want to see. But sometimes, you know, we have certain things that we want to talk about. You know as a team or, or as a group of us, but we want Patreon to be a place where we talk about what you have on your mind and discuss uh, different topics and ideas. So if you have ideas for that, uh, make sure you go over to Patreon and let us know. If you want to hang out with us other places, uh, Facebook, Clashing Sabers, uh, Star Wars on Facebook, and Twitter at Clashing Sabers. And of course, as always, you can send us uh, your thoughts uh, over on ClashingSabers.net or Clashing Sabers. Uh, network at gmail.com if you uh, have ideas that you want to share with us or just get connected on how to donate to our literacy efforts. So if they want to do that, if they want to uh, learn about how to stay in shape in quarantine and all that kind of stuff, Lindsay, where can they find you? You guys can find me over on Twitter at the Lady of Lore or, of course, over on our Facebook group, but preferably on Patreon. We can definitely chat there. <laughs> so so help us get to that $50 a month, and I will give you any kind of fitness and or nutrition advice you need on top of Star Wars content. And, oh, Drew, dang. before I send it to you, I want to just make one uh, last little announcement about Patreon, uh, just because this is something that's really important, is uh, right now we're able to handle all the operating costs for Clashing Sabers um, out of our own pockets. Um, I pay for the hosting and everything, and it doesn't bother me at all because I want the Patreon to go as long as possible, as much as possible to 
uh, getting books into classrooms. So just so you know, we're not covering like our, our Podbean hosting fees or anything with, with this money. This is all going towards books and shipping books to teachers. Mm-hmm. So that's something that as long as uh, as we can financially afford it, um, I'm going to be very adamant about us doing. That's not a knock on other people who do use it for that, which is totally fine. I'm thankfully... <laughs> Those people are probably way more professional than we are. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But, but thankfully, Suckers. <laughs> thankfully, I'm in a position. We're in a position where we don't have to do that, and so uh, we want to really make sure we're we're sending this money to the kids. So where we're at and where we're going, you know, I just want you to know that's where the money is going. And Drew, if they want to talk to you about uh, what EU books to get into or um, yeah. what it's like to not sleep for eight months, where can they where can they find you at? Um, normally you'd find me on the Twitter at the Drew Brett. Um, I'm mostly lurking in the Facebook group right now. The Twitter is just kind of as too poisonous right now. I've got to figure out how to make that a, a, a nicer place to spend some time. And when I do, I'll be a little bit be- more active there. But the block Facebook button, man, to- block button. It's tough. It is tough. I've got to figure out the best way to manage that without letting it affect me too much. Um, but the Facebook group seems to be good. We've got a lot of good people who have positive contributions, um, conversations, um, the just the right amount of making fun of one another, so it's not too personal. Um, but that's and that's a great place to come um, post, post your stuff, give us a link to what it is that you've been working on, so you can have a chance to spread your own audience. There's no reason that we can't do that for you guys as well. So it's a great place to do that. Awesome. So until we see you again, be with me. No, no? I don't think so. No, that doesn't Let's, work. No, we got to come up with something better than that. Let's all say it together. One, two, three. Be with me. See, when I said no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. How about we just do the Babu Frick? Hey! (laughs) The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.